This is Unfiltered, episode 193 for June 22nd, 2016. So a hack attack against the DNC purportedly revealing a treasure trove of documents related to Hillary Clinton, including Democrats' lines on defense, like topics uh, on topics like Libya and on Benghazi as well. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge uh, looking into all this, and she joins us with more this morning. Good morning, Catherine. The Clinton campaign has consistently maintained that there's no evidence of a breach, but this is really uh, a position that's getting harder and harder uh, to argue, given uh, the new claims by WikiLeaks. Leaks, uh, the reporting uh, citing the Russian government, and then of course our reporting here at Fox News that the Romanian hacker said he got inside that server, Martha. Yeah, fascinating. Happy June 22nd as we start our first full day of summer here in the uh, Western Hemisphere. What Northwestern Hemisphere, really? Welcome again to another edition of Unfiltered Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. There's Chris. Chris, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm sitting in on today's episode you're of sitting in? I'm doing a sit-in right now, Chase. Oh, wait. I thought you are like, you're sitting in for Chris today. No, I'm... No, I'm, I'm no, I'm doing. You know, that's I, what that's what news people say. I, I'm I know, sitting I know, but I'm making a play on the fact that going on right now in the Senate is the sit-in as we record this episode uh, here. Uh, are, on are the you, show. Wait, wait, are you talking about the sit-in? Is uh, the, yeah, you know the one where the uh, <laughs> where there's no actual feed of it because they got the cameras shut down, so you have to keep going to Periscope where the feeds keep dying. All right, so so this. Oh hi, that's us. See, we're sitting in right now. We're yeah. sitting in here till we get results, as Judge Hastings knows better than anyone. Oh. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, yeah, pull down the microphone because it's not actually on. See, see, right now, the House of Representatives, by the way, I always love to say that because House of Representatives, you know, if you watch Idiocracy, it's a great movie. Okay. But anyway, right now in the House of Representatives, they're actually not in session. And so what the Republicans did is they said, hey, uh, C-SPAN, uh, we're cutting the cameras and cutting the mics because it's, <laughs> this is not official. We don't have to record it, you see? Yeah. Uh, so they are not doing that. No, 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 well, no, 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 I understand, you know, this is a, a you know very charged political Ooh. issue. Yeah. And right now, th- this year, this political voting season is going to be very, very tough. This is going to be the summer of politics, you know. Yeah, yeah. However, this is total, you know, politicizing grandstanding because they know if they pass this in the House of Representatives, it's not going to pass in the Senate. Okay? It's not going to. And my biggest issue with this whole scenario and we talked about it last week, and actually uh, uh, John Oliver on last week tonight did the thing about background checks about a year or two ago about a, a guy that was a was put on a terrorist list, and there's really no due process for him to get off that terrorist list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you start taking things away from people and there's no due yeah. process for them, even, you know, I understand that 99% of those people probably have been vetted, right, and they're terrorists. Are we, but, do you want to start the show with guns? I was going to start it with cyber. But well, we, we always start the show with cyber, but I was just giving no, my thought about that. We can do guns now if you want. It's fine. I guess we could break from doing cyber at the start. 
I'm just saying. I mean, we since we are pulling this up and this is what it's about. I know. I feel like it is kind of news right now. So we should, for one, although I feel like we're going to upset some people because people hate it. I I think we should just not talk about guns on this show because we get all we get oh, all excited. By the, by the way, I, I did see the notes come into the Patreon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, I was going to save this for the Patreon segment uh, to address it. You know, honestly. To be blunt, describing it as a machine gun or an automatic weapon, whatever, you know, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, okay? Right off the bat. But that that's a distraction in its own right. I yeah, wasn't really, yeah, yeah. I wasn't really, you know, it doesn't matter what it was, <laughs> in my opinion, right? And so in, in this kind of a scenario, I apologize for not accurately describing the model and specific type of uh, gun that was used, or or do you call it a gun, or do you call it a rifle? I apologize for that. Okay, all right. So, all right. So, uh, should we? Do you, well, please. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, so that's I know. why I was like, I just don't know if we want to start about with guns. We should be clips. afraid, though. I have a, okay. I have a, just you know what? I just have a couple of clips. Okay, all right. and then we'll get we'll go into cyber. We have more. We have a lot more in all the other categories of the show. So uh, this is, of course, the the topic of guns. I mean, the reason why we're even happening right now is obviously in sort of the aftershock, the af- what, do, what do you call it? The, the aftermath of the Orlando. aftermath? Yeah. Is, I, that feels like the wrong term to use because it feels almost like disrespectful Fall, to the event itself. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you say? It's like this is where the conversation always goes after one right. of these shootings, so this is hot on everybody uh, in the States is, uh, is on their list. Of course, we do have some Brexit coverage coming up. We also have uh, the Hillary leak, which you saw the intro about coming up. So we have a lot of stuff. So let's just get the gun stuff done right now. Let's All do right, it. Fair enough. So the All Senate right. voted down four amendments designed to strengthen background checks and prevent suspected terrorists from obtaining weapons. In response, some Democrats are accusing Republicans of selling guns to ISIS. CNN senior political reporter Manu Raju joins me now. Manu, Manu that's a pretty stark Manu, Manu. accusation, Republicans selling guns to terrorists. Absolutely, Jake, and Democrats are not backing off this at all. This really started when Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, who launched that 15-hour filibuster last week, uh, trying oh, to wait, call... Can I pause for one quick yes, sir. Did you see the lower third that just went by? Uh, well, no, because right now it says Dems accused no, someone. No, no, no. There was an advertisement. You missed it. Oh, yeah, I did. I did see that. You're right. I, I, in fact, I can't believe I didn't think to say anything. Yeah, you. That is that is so amazing. For, for our audio people, you know, there's you know there's crawls advertisements that pop up on the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. CNN is doing a preview yeah. uh, advertisement of the Libertarian got, Town Hall. I got a Gary. I got a Gary clip coming up yeah. where, where I think we should talk about this. So yeah, the, this is interesting because I don't remember ever seeing something like this ever. We will pick that up uh, in the uh, 2016 segment because I think you just uh, yeah, good observation. When yeah. Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, who launched that 15-hour filibuster last week, uh, trying to call and push Republicans on the issue of gun control, uh, vented to the Washington Post and said that uh, Republicans. Ch- chose to sell weapons to ISIS. Now, afterwards, uh, Elizabeth Warren, the progressive firebrand, someone presumed to be, to be on Hillary Clinton's shortlist to be vice president, uh, tweeted that she agrees that Chris Murphy said it accurately and said it correctly. Now, today, I had a chance to question Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid about whether or not that rhetoric was responsible. I don't criticize them at all for saying what they did, because actually, it's true. As we see it, it is, without question, possible for suspected terrorists to buy guns 
because Republicans are protecting their ability to do so. This is so amazingly rich coming Oy. from the administration that is shipping Toyotas, guns, ammo, dro- oh, yeah. dropping. Uh, I mean, this is this is that is so rich coming from the administration that is actually arming terrorists. That's <laughs> just incredible yeah. when you think about it. Now, wow. I, 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 as I have said last episode, uh, I don't particularly have a dog in this uh, particular fight. I do kind of like the idea that if I decided to move out to the boondocks where there are animals and potentially crazy people, I, and, and legitimately so, I live kind of out in the boondocks already. I, I pretty much live out literally as far west as you can go without living in the water. And there could be some rationale for wanting some self-protection. So I like I like the idea that if I wanted to own a firearm, I could. I do not presently own a firearm. I do not intend to own a firearm. But I do like the idea that if I wanted – just like the idea that if I want to put something in my body, I can. Or if I want to get a special kind of medical treatment, I can. I'd like to have governance over my life. And, and that extends to purchasing a firearm. Right. Uh, and so the, the – the, Well, it's your constitutional right. Well, right. So I don't – what I'm trying to say is what the next, this next clip, I'm not playing it because I think it's, ah, what a zinger. This is why you need guns. What I'm saying is there is a place in the current system where red flags are being raised. There are people who are absolutely experts about the market. They know exactly the customers. They know how to surveil people. Right. They understand them. And that is the gun shop owners themselves. And if we could utilize gun shop owners more properly, we would actually – we could use them as a protective layer. So I want you to hear directly uh, from one of the individuals at that gun shop. And you can hear for yourself what that person told CNN Mr. Griffin. Our salesman got very concerned about it and just informed him we do not have this body on them. At this time, he pulled away and got onto the cell phone. When he was on the cell phone, he had a conversation in a foreign language that was more concerning. Then he came back and he was requesting ammo. So he wanted bulk ammo only. So at that time, he declined any business and he left the store. We had no link, no contact. We had didn't know who he was, but we did contact authorities and let them know we just had a suspicious person that was in here. So they're, you know, they're doing their part. That seems like a pretty reasonable well, course of action. And I think I talked about this on last week's show when, you know, when the FBI, you know, obviously everyone, when, they, when they're buying these firearms, uh, they do undergo some sort of background check, right? I mean, they have... I want to play, so I want to play this clip because this talks about background checks and then brings up your point about the terrorist watch list and gives you some numbers. And let's talk about the list. Okay. Right. You good? Okay. Yeah, good yeah, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Even though the Pulse nightclub killer had once been on the FBI's terror watch list, yep. in the days before his murderous rampage, he was able to buy two firearms, one of them an MCX carbine assault-style semi-automatic. He's not the only one. Nine out of ten people on terror watch lists who want to buy a gun – are given the green light after passing a federal background check, according to a government accountability report. No one outside of our military who are trained to use these weapons needs to have access to a weapon that can fire hundreds of bullets in a minute. Hundreds of bullets in a minute. On the Senate floor, a filibuster from Democratic lawmakers to force action on gun legislation. We have to make it harder for hateful, angry, violent people to get a hand on a weapon. Last year, 23.1 million background checks were run through the FBI's national database. Okay, so there's our first number. So what I was going to add on to that is 
He was already under investigation on the FBI, right? Three times, yeah. Three times. He was on the watch list for 10 months. So why couldn't they just let him buy the gun, obviously, because they ceased their investigation, right? They said uh, they, they couldn't do anything, right? And just flag it, flag his name. So, yeah, let him buy the gun. But then the FBI knows, hey, this guy just bought a gun, the MCX, right? I think they do say in this clip at, at a certain point uh, in the past, the FBI just started cross-checking lists all of a sudden. They're like, hey, you know what we could do? We could just take this list of people who bought guns and check it with this other list that we have ourselves and just see if people so line up. you're saying they did an Excel pivot table kind of yeah, a thing I think, or something? I'm not, they might be, it might be about what they're – they, somewhere in here they do mention that. What? So these numbers, these numbers I think are fascinating. They talk about these different wow. lists. 3.1 million background checks were run through the FBI's national database. Of those, 244 people were identified as being on the terror watch list. 223 were approved. So when people are doing background checks, when you get your background check done, the FBI at that time then runs it to see if you're on the terror watch list. So, he, so why so, couldn't when you go get your gun when you get when you're getting your gun background check, why couldn't they check to see if you're on the terror watch list then? Well, here's the thing: like, so they they approve them even though they were on the list, right? And so the whole big law that they're trying to get passed right now is you can't buy a gun if you're on the list. So, but, right. But hold on. So if they knew this. Why couldn't they just say, well, all right, fine, you're approved to buy the weapon, and then the FBI immediately reopens their investigation? That would be my point. Is That, yeah. that seems to be – but even then, that seems overreaching. Really, I think the core issue I have with any watch list is there is – there is no evidence to suggest it is a functional process. It has. I'm not. I am not clear on what the judicial review is for who is on the list. I am not clear on the process if there is any to get off the list. Right. And I, I am not comfortable with them just creating lists. Totally. I'm. I'm with you on that. And now, if this list was a solid list, then it, this would make sense to me. And, and this has my, been my whole thing about it. I don't consider myself uh, Democratic or Republican, but I do side with the Republicans on one thing, and that is there's no due process. There's no due process on saying, all right, fine, uh, you're going to take someone's constitutional amendment away from, from buying a gun? Fine. Well, they should have a due process to know why they're on the list, how do you, you know, who do you talk to to get off the list, who do you have to interview with, those kind of scenarios, those kind of things where innocent Americans have been put on these lists and have been restricted to to travel because of it. Yeah, yeah so it, oh, the, 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 the list is really the issue. And instead of what we're doing is we're talking the, – the conversation that is happening assumes that the list is infallible and that it is some magic, magic, magic list of, of bad people. And if we just followed it, we'd all be safer. Faithful, angry, violent people to get a hand on a weapon. Last year, 23.1 million background checks were run through the FBI's national database. Of those, 244 people were identified as being on the terror watch list. 223 were approved. 21 were denied. To be denied, you have to be, among other reasons, a felon, fugitive, domestic abuser, undocumented immigrant, or have a legally declared mental health issue. You see, I think this is going to go through because if you can be a domestic abuser and get disqualified uh, uh, or, um, you know, an, an, a mental health issue, it's, it's – I mean, those, if those are legitimate issues, which but perhaps here's the they thing. are. All of these things that are on the screen right now yeah. 
are uh, documented through a court system. That's true. Right? That is true. That is true. So, and, or in the case of mental health, like maybe a doctor. Well, yeah, that is that is actually documented through a legal process. Okay. I, yeah. So, but, so all of these then have gone through a process at least, okay. be it a, a good so, process so or not. So if you're declared a terrorist, there would have to be a political – not political process – a legal process. There would have to be. Otherwise, you could just say, well, Chris, you're a terrorist. Well, how do you know? Well, you're on the list. The FBI. Yeah, I yeah. have some uh, I have some stories linked in the show notes that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And in there, the FBI says, well, we determined he might be a terrorist when we realized that he was chatting with an ISIS th- sympathizer. He was cybering a lot. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you know that they are? How, so, But they're, do you say they're ISIS? They're pro-ISIS, so therefore they are pro-ISIS. Where's the proof? Like they well, can just Chris, label people. They just put people you on were a list. Following a Twitter account that was linked to ISIS that had you know only 180 yeah, followers. You're right. you're right. You are now determined to be a terrorist. Reasons: a felon, fugitive, domestic abuser, undocumented immigrant, or have a legally declared mental health issue. Being on the terror watch list is not an automatic strike. I've had enough. The figures over the last 12 years have remained consistent. In 2004, the FBI began cross-checking criminal backgrounds against terror watch lists. There it is right there. Since then, 2,477 on the watch list received a background check. 2,265 passed. 212 were denied, meaning 91 percent passed the background check. The FBI director says joint terrorism task forces are alerted if someone on the watch list is cleared to buy a firearm. There you go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, there you whoa, go. Whoa. There you go. I, I, I had not heard that far into the clip because I actually didn't plan to play this part. Uh, wow. Since then, 2,477 on the watch list received a background check. I was going to kill it right here. 2,265 I'm listening intently passed. again here. Yeah. 212 were denied, meaning 91% passed the background check. The FBI director says joint terrorism task forces are alerted if someone on the watch list is cleared to buy a firearm. Well, joint terrorism task forces are alerted. When someone on the list buys a firearm. So then we're not violating anyone's rights and we're proactively alerting specialized teams of law enforcement. So why didn't they do anything? What would this change? You would so you would so you would just have this list. No, no, no. What 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 it would change is it would just be an automatic denial. That's what it would change. I know, but now they're just going to, you know, it's going to, no, 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 that is not correct at all. Yeah, oh, yes, technically you're correct. I'll tell you what it's going to change, though. What it's going to change is now they're just going to go get the guns illegally. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And so now there will be nobody alerted. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This, yeah. D- this actually makes it worse because now there is an official ping that happens, and now we are actually taking away that ping. The nightclub killer was taken off the watch list in 2014. Oh, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, that, that part, uh, and we knew that. We knew that. Okay. When it was determined, right. he was not a threat. The FBI has three business days to process background checks. If three days go minute. by... I just picked up on something else I just d- dwelled on. Hmm. When the FBI determined that he was not a threat, he was taken off the list. So the FBI makes that determination. Yes, they, they determine who goes on and off. So, But there's no due process to that. They just decide it on yeah. their own. Yes. 
At least they take somebody off, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, isn't that interesting? That was wow. That, was, that clip was better. Great than clip. I, yeah, that clip was better than I was expecting because I had I was going to cut it off after the stats. I'm glad you did. Boring. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. So why don't we now? Why don't we pivot to cyber? Unless you have okay. So no, I, no. We, no. we kind of got our list. That no, got good. That got our list out, didn't it? They yeah. got our list talk out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the uh, did you hear about this grandma? That searched on Google and she thanked Google and she said, please to Google, like, please tell me what the weather will be like. Thank you very much. No, she I... thought real people were reading the Google search results. Oh, that's adorable. This clip, Aww. not that adorable. No. Now, the father of an American woman killed in the terror attacks in Paris back Wait, in November. That's not Shepard Smith reporting. No, he's been on uh, he's been on vacay. He is now suing Google, Facebook, and Twitter. He argues the companies allowed ISIS to recruit members, raise money, and spread extremist propaganda. He says that led to the death of his daughter. How about that? Whoa. So he's suing Twitter because Twitter was used to raise money for ISIS. 23-year-old Noemi Gonzalez. Reps from Google, Facebook, and Twitter all say they have policies against extremist material. And they reach out to law enforcement when necessary. But is there a case here? What do you think? Is there a case here, Chase? <laughs> no. I mean, wow. I, no, I'm sorry for his loss. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you know, God forbid something terrible happened to one of your kids. And, you know, you, you, want, you, you go after people that you feel might be responsible. But, it, you know, I no, gotta, I'm uh, sorry. I got to thumb through the red book real quick here, yeah, buddy. Yeah, bud. Uh, we have a uh, prediction to cross off. So for those of you that might be new to the show, uh, from time to time, we uh, take predictions down in the show. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, an unfilter episode 160. Wow. Yeah, wow. 33 episodes ago. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Go ahead. I said the reports of Chinese hacking the U.S. will drop. And they'll pivot to Russia and Iran. Chase, I cash in on my prediction from episode 160. The number of cyber intrusions by China may be down, but they're not over. A new report shows hackers are breaching the computers of U.S. companies less frequently. But whether the decline in spying is a result of an Obama administration deal or just a shift in tactics is up for debate. <laughs> now, see where Fox goes with this is they try to they try to play the whole thing off like it's not thanks to Obama. I'll give you a little taste. Correspondent Kristen Fisher reports from the White House briefing room. Nine months ago, President Obama stood side by side with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Now, would that be 160? Did, is that why I made that prediction? Because it was uh, this? Yeah. I bet you I said. I, I bet you Somebody should the chat room if you could check uh, what nine months ago, what episode that was. To announce what the White House hoped would be a game changer in the fight against cyber theft and espionage. We've agreed that neither the U.S. or the Chinese government will conduct or knowingly support cyber-enabled theft of intellectual property. Since then, the cybersecurity firm FireEye has found more than a dozen hacking groups based in China that have compromised computer networks belonging to corporations in the U.S., Europe, and Japan. The key thing to remember here is we're still seeing corporations and numerous corporations compromised since that agreement, since 2015. But that same firm also found a notable decline in the overall number of China-based cyber attacks against the U.S. FireEye attributes the change partly to increased pressure from the U.S. and partly to changes within China itself, specifically President Xi's efforts to centralize China's cyber operations. It may mean... You know, I'm just going to take my victory, though. Boom. I, I take it. Yeah, I, I would. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's interesting. And uh, last week we talked about uh, Russia 
Russia hacky. Turns out might not have been Russia at all. We'll get to that. But just because we shouldn't go too much further into the show without talking about the Brexit, let's play this a little bit. Uh, this is sort of the sad note to the Brexit and I think uh, probably seals the deal too. British Labour MP Joe Cox has died after she was attacked by a 52-year-old man during an open advice surgery for her constituents in West Yorkshire. Cox received critical injuries after she was shot and stabbed multiple times. So I, guess, I didn't realize this, but wow. I, I guess they have uh, – I guess they had, uh, They just – what, you, anybody can have a gun over there? They don't – uh, I thought no one had guns over there. Well, somebody had a gun chase. I mean because I don't know if you just heard what he said, but uh, she was shot. Cox received critical injuries after she was shot and stabbed multiple times. She was airlifted to hospital but later died of her injuries. Joe Cox, Cox was 41 years old and had two children, aged three and five. She was a Labour MP for the constituency of Batley and Spen in West Yorkshire. Cox was elected to Parliament in 2015. She earlier worked as Oxfam's head of policy. Auntie's Anastasia Cherkin joins me uh, live now from London with the latest. Uh, Nastya, lots of details have been emerging since this uh, very unfortunate incident. What, what do we know at this point about the attacker and about the actual uh, circumstances of the attack itself? Well, Neil, uh, obviously, as information continues to come in, it's difficult to uh, really put together the details as they're trickling in. But what's clear is that any real clarity on the motives and the what led to this attack is yet to be shed. What we do know is that West Yorkshire police have arrested a 52-year-old man. They have seized uh, weapons from him, including a firearm. Now, this man has been identified as Tommy Mayer, a man who's described uh, by neighbors as a loner and somebody who who kept to himself and was living in a house in, an, in this area uh, of the attack for the last 40 years uh, by himself. And according to media reports, suggestions have been made that allege that witnesses have claimed that leading up to the attack, this man had reportedly said it's time to make Britain first again, referring to a group named Britain First here in the UK, which is uh, known as a, a, a right-wing nationalist group that on its own website describes itself as a patriotic political party and street defense organization. That you can imagine how uh, if somebody for the Brexit uh, was involved in the shooting, how that made things go. I can see where you're going. There. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have a lot more to say. The vote's tomorrow, I believe. And yeah, um, there is a, this clip tells a little more about it. But the way, just and by the at, way, as I predicted, I didn't read book this. No, oh. we talked about it last week. All right. Where you were saying, this is not getting a lot of news, not getting a lot of play. Yeah. And I said, wait, just, just for a few days before the Brexit yeah, and yeah. we will see it. And Still not. No, I've, I've heard, I've I know, heard a lot been of some, stuff. I know, there's but not a lot for how big of a deal it is. But well, I think it's because it's, well, it's not going anywhere. I think yeah, that's why. That's, yeah. A lot's at stake when Britain votes on quitting the European Union. The Remain campaign, led by Prime Minister David Cameron, has hammered away on the costs of Brexit, slower growth, broken alliances, diminished influence. Boris Johnson, the most popular spokesman for the Leave campaign, says it's all about sovereignty. Will Britain govern itself or be ruled from Brussels? The polls say it's close, and there's a reason. Both sides in the debate are right. Whatever Britain does, it will regret it. Britain depends on the EU for 44% of its exports and 48% of its investment from abroad. Study after study says Brexit will cost. What's worse, Europe won't make Brexit easy. 
anti-EU feeling is strong in France, the Netherlands and many other countries. The EU will want to discourage other rebels. Yeah, that's for sure. The Remain campaign has overplayed the doom and gloom, but it's basically right about the dangers. Trouble is, the Leave campaign is also right. The EU does infringe sovereignty. It's meant to. It's a political project pledged to ever closer union. Europe has a parliament, an executive and a supreme court. The institutions of a nation state. Over time, the ties will strengthen an evolution most Brits are sure to resent. Unlike France, Italy and Germany, Britain doesn't see the European project as a way to come to terms with a terrible past. Hmm. It's proud of its history, like the US is proud, and no more likely than the US to ever be comfortable with rule from abroad. Brits are pragmatic. I'm still betting they'll do the sensible thing on June 23rd, but then repent their timidity and hate the EU all the more. Yeah, that's pretty much how I think it's going to go, too. Yeah, it's, uh, and we'll just have to watch and see um, <clears throat> because I don't really have much more insight than that. You know how we were talking about uh, the uh, FBI and uh, them uh, having the watch list and getting yes. people involved in terrorism right. cases? Yes. I did a little reading up on this case. This is an interesting These one. These new details we've gotten in about an Indiana teen facing federal terrorism charges accused of trying to join ISIS. Want to get the details? NBC News Justice correspondent Pete Williams joins me again. And Pete, explain how long he'd been on the FBI's radar. Well, he's probably been on the radar for about three years, Thomas. This is an yeah. They started tracking him December of 2013 when he was still a high school. Eighteen-year-old named Akram Musla from Brownsburg, which is just outside Indianapolis, Indiana. And these pictures are what they say they found on his cell phone of him. They say this is a pose that ISIS fighters use. Uh, three years ago, they say he had uh, talked about downloading propaganda videos from Anwar al-Awlaki. So the so this is where it gets really really interesting. The FBI claims that he showed up on their radar when he started watching these videos on YouTube. I want to make it clear: he watched the videos on YouTube, and that's what made him show up on their radar, according to their report. Did he comment on those videos, though? Maybe there's I, some missing information. There's here. definitely missing information there, yeah. absolutely. But because I know what you're implying. What is scary about that is that's what's that is the process that once he watches those videos, the FBI goes to his school and begins interviewing the principal and interviews him. Once he watches those videos, that's when the ball starts rolling in this entire thing. And this is back in December of 2013. Propaganda videos from Anwar al-Awlaki, the al-Qaeda propagandist. And then at some point after that, they say this is his apartment that was searched by the FBI yesterday after he was arrested. After that, they say he showed this great interest in ISIS, that he was corresponding with people uh, from ISIS overseas trying to figure out how he could get there. And they say that he tried three other times to get overseas. He had passport problems, but he was arrested yesterday at the bus station. He had a, a trip to New York. He was going to then get on a plane and go to Morocco. And this was his fourth attempt. They also say that a couple of years ago he bought an ISIS flag. There's now, this is an interesting one. A couple of years ago he bought an ISIS flag. Well, that doesn't seem very likely, does it? Could you, can any of you, can any of you find a picture of an ISIS flag from two years ago? Can you? From 2014? The problem is, here's what, here's what the problem yeah. is. It's a generic flag. It's not, it's not an ISIS-specific flag. It's a generic thing. But that said, so supposedly a couple of years ago, he bought – actually, according to, the, according to the FBI report, in 2013, 
he buys, that's more than a couple of years, he buys this ISIS flag in 2013. I'm finding that kind of hard to believe, but that's what the FBI case says. But we don't have any pictures of this flag until 2015 in May or June, I can't remember which one, where he's posing in front of it like, hey, look at this flag I just got. So in like June 2015, we have a picture of him in front of the flag that the FBI has released. The Justice Department has released the pictures of this. But they claim he bought the flag in 2013. And the whole thing just seems really weird to me huh. because I can't think of any – I can't think of any time I saw ISIS imagery. And I don't know – and now – and remember, we've been doing the show for a while, right? We follow this, We follow this stuff very closely. I'm not saying that uh, I, it's beyond the scope that perhaps we missed it. But it seems unlikely that a show that follows all of this very closely would miss it and a high school student would find it. Right. <laughs> They also say that a couple of years ago he bought an ISIS flag. There's a picture of him posing in front of the flag, and then he posted pro-ISIS messages on social media and texted with these figures overseas. In one of these conversations, he says, um, was wondering how can one get to Libya? And then he began corresponding with someone, texting with someone he did not know was an FBI undercover. And according to the FBI, he said to that person that... Oh, oh, really? Oh, what? Was it on Telegram? Oh, what? ...on social media and texted with these figures overseas. In one of these conversations, he says, um, was wondering how can one get to Libya... And then he began corresponding with someone, texting with someone he did not know was an FBI undercover. And according to the FBI, he said to that person that he was scared because another ISIS figure told him he should go through uh, Syria. The FBI also says that last month he visited a Walmart store and they uh, they were tailing him at this point. They so this is really something. So, I mean, this is how much they're... So starting in 2013, following all the way to this point, they're tailing this guy. He appeared to be looking at pressure cookers after it, <laughs> uh, looking for material about explosives online, but he never bought anything. So this is a traveler case, Thomas. And one other point about these, we saw a lot of these last year, but the FBI has said that the number of these traveler cases, these attempted cases to go overseas and join ISIS has dropped in recent months. And although there's no clear indication of why... The- now, why would they be dropping, Chase? Why would they be dropping? Hmm. See, well, I love – see, in, in, in the reality where this story makes sense, the context that we have to accept is that young high school students – this guy would have been a sophomore or a junior, right? Right. Uh, they, they watch a video on YouTube and they're so enamored by the videos that go, oh, la, 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 and they have the slow pan of the ISIS guys in the field uh, all practicing their kicks. That, yeah. yeah, That inspires them so much that they are motivated to travel across the world and join ISIS. And, and, and the hard work of the FBI with their network of, of informants out there catch these people just at the right time and, and save them and pluck them. From going over there, from from being tempted from the sweet nectar of the attractive ISIS cult. And it's only our brave men and women of the FBI that are preventing them from being lured by this moth to the flame effect. Yep. I mean, that it would that is essentially what they're telling us. And so maybe now that we're seeing a drop off, maybe the word's getting out, Chase. Maybe the word's getting out that ISIS isn't that much fun. The FBI theorizes that uh, the word is getting around that when you go over there to join ISIS, it's pretty rough and your odds oh, of surviving so are, are not very high how stupid do they think we are how <laughs> stupid do they think really can you yeah. believe they're feeding us that yeah well there's just less cases because people are hearing that isis is a rough group 
<laughs> the benefits aren't so good, Chris. That's the problem. So you know, the four hundred one k is just not there. This kid, this this uh, this sophomore high school student or junior, is so tapped in to what's going on in the Middle East that he buys an ISIS flag in two thousand and thirteen and wants to travel over there in three separate three separate occasions. So that somehow they can get that wrapped up by the ISIS propaganda, but yet just now the message is getting out there? Convenient. <laughs> it's just it's amazing. Con- it's too convenient. So the Fox Network uh, really going after Obama this weekend. Uh, this is a good one because there's no better way to slam Obama than to use the words of his very own advisors against him. Terrorism in America, election this 2016. This is a special edition of On the Record. Here in America, ISIS and election 2016. Now, I know she's nearly unbearable, but trust me, uh, you'll, you'll see where I'm coming from. Fox is really trying to give him a punch. And a grave warning from the CIA. The CIA director telling us ISIS is as dangerous as ever. This frightful statement coming despite massive efforts on the battlefield by U.S.-led forces. Oh, interesting little tidbit. Uh, Hillary's left nut in the chat room points out that ISIS became a thing according to Wikipedia, which is the source of all information. Uh, ISIS, or Daesh, began referring to themselves as that in June of 2014. So this, this sophomore high school student was so hip to ISIS that he bought an ISIS flag before ISIS started calling themselves ISIS. Woof! Man, the FBI caught themselves a real, a real one this time. Here's CIA Director John Brennan with his chilling words. Unfortunately, despite all our progress against ISIL on the battlefield and in the financial realm, our efforts have not reduced the group's terrorism capability and global reach. Mm. Moreover, the group's foreign branches and global networks can help preserve its capacity for terrorism regardless of events in Iraq and Syria. In fact, as the pressure mounts on ISIL, we judge that it will intensify its global terror campaign to maintain its dominance of the global terrorism agenda. So he's literally saying the more, we, more pressure we put on them, the more pressure they're going to put on us. Wow. Fox News Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harris is here. Catherine, um, that's the CIA director. Two days earlier, the president said ISIS is on the defense. Um, I see this. As- I want to play one more just so you can get a sense of uh, where Fox is going with this and we don't have to listen to Greta too much. Now you got to hype it up, hype it up. The rise of the Islamic extremists. All right, 733 here in New York City. When it comes to terrorists targeting the United States. You see how he's, that guy's rubbing his Why hands? Why is he rubbing his hands so much? You saw, you saw that? That's weird. I know. Stop it, dude. Because he knows what they're about to play and they just love taking shots at uh, the Obama. The president has a much different take than the people he appointed to keep us safe. Watch this. Instead of getting dragged into another ground war in the Middle East, we are leading a broad coalition, including Arab nations, oh, yeah. to degrade and ultimately destroy the terrorist Our intent being to destroy ISIS with the means that he has approved so far, I think that's an unattainable objective. The world is less violent than it has ever been. It is healthier than it has ever been. It is more tolerant than it has ever been. When the final accounting is done, 2014 will have been the most lethal year for global terrorism in the 45 years such a data has been compiled. ISIL is not going to pose an existential threat to us. Uh, They are a dangerous organization like Al-Qaeda was. But we have hardened uh, our defenses. Our homeland uh, has never been uh, more protected. Their ability to have a safe haven from which to gather resources, people, and plan and plot increases the risk of their ability to mount a sophisticated attack against the homeland. If our audience audience, our audience audience, geez, if our audio audience 
is recognizing all these voices. Good job. So we just heard uh, we heard, that was just uh, James Comey from the director of the FBI. Before him was Clapper. Uh, and before him was uh, Defense Secretary Gates. From the start, our goal has been first to contain, and we have contained them. We have not contained ISIL. We are making significant progress. This <laughs> campaign at this stage is firing wow. on all cylinders. And as a result, ISIL is under more pressure than ever before. Despite all our progress against ISIL on the battlefield and in the financial realm, our efforts have not reduced the group's Brennan, terrorism capability CIA. and global reach. Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> oh fox oh but you see where they're really set, where they're really taking this is man look at obama he is just not fit why is the president's own intelligence advisor said he asked to work for him telling a different story than he's telling the public is a revolt on the horizon <laughs> wow Joining us now is Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, a former Defense Intelligence Agency director. Look how angry that guy is. That guy is angry. So there you go. Uh, they are uh, they are just lining it up for the Republicans uh, for the 2016 race. Now, uh, Libya comes up from time to time. You heard that the uh, high school student wanted to go to Libya. Yeah, wanted to go over there. We're going to be talking about the Hillary leak. And in the leak, they talk a lot about Libya. So you feel confident that we probably have a plan for Libya, right? We got a good plan. Do we have a strategy for 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 Libya, or are we just acting in an ad hoc fashion, which was has been the case is yesterday. as we've watched John ISIS uh, establish, metastasize, and grow in Libya? Metastasize. Well, as you indicated, the two the two strategic objectives that we do have for Libya. Is- this is Lieutenant General Thomas uh, Waldenhauser. Waldhauser. Waldhauser. Uh, he's the nominee to command the U.S. forces in Africa. Ooh, that's a big, big job. It's a big continent. I know the objectives. Do we have a strategy? To continue to support that right at this point in time. I am not, I am not aware of any overall grand strategy at this point. Do you, are you aware of a need for sufficient military engagement to see that the, that the mission is accomplished, which More boots. it seems to me, as you mentioned, is twofold. One, take care of ISIS, and the other, establish a stable government in Libya. One of the things we have to be very careful about is the, the complex relationships of these various militias and so on. Ooh. So um, if, the, if the government, meaning Mr. Siraj and the GNA, requests our support, then we should very much consider doing that. And so I think we've been able to tell him what we what we could offer at this point in time. So what I feel they are talking about, I, if you listen to what they're saying there, uh, right about this point. It seems to me, as you mentioned, is twofold. One, take care of ISIS and the other, establish a stable government. Establish a stable government. Now, how do we do uh, that? In Libya. One of the things we have to be very careful about is the, the complex relationships of these various militias and so on. So in other words, what he's saying is we're, we, we're going to go through the job of picking another side to back again, just like we're doing in Syria. And if we're going to do this again, we've really got to make sure we do it right. That's what's coming to Libya. That's what he's saying. And I can look forward to that. Uh, so uh, speaking of uh, things like Gaddafi, Biden had a few things to say. Yeah, more from my conversation with Vice President Joe Biden, Biden. who spoke yesterday in his ceremonial office, office. at the executive office building in Washington. I asked about criticism of the Obama administration's use of force or lack of it in troubled spots like Syria and Libya. There are those who argue, look, we've had a problem uh, overthrowing these dictators like Mubarak and like Gaddafi and, and like Saddam. And it's come back and we might 
asked the question, would we have been better off if they'd stayed? Let's take Libya. Saddam, Gaddafi. Let's take Libya. Mubarak. What I think it's what I think is really interesting about Joe is we know he wanted to run. In fact, he just recently just said, I think I would have made a great president. I think I, I think I should have run. He just recently said that. Really? Uh, he wanted oh, to run. Is that because when Hillary gets arrested that he can uh, slide right in there? I don't know. I think it's more like he was told, no, Joe. In fact, if you look at the DNC leak that we have in the BitTorrent seek, yeah. the DNC has been planning for years now for it to be Hillary. So it was just always going to be I'm Hillary. I'm shocked by that statement, by the way. And uh, it was never going to be Bernie. It was never going to be Joe. It was always going to be Hillary. And I think he's bitter about it. I think he feels like he's worked his way to the top. He got to the vice presidency, and now he doesn't get what's rightfully his. And he takes little slight. Little- Only if he had the Biden foundation. If he had the Biden Foundation behind him. Maybe he will. But he, so he takes little slides at Hillary. So when you're talking about the failure of Libya, right. you're talking about things like Benghazi. You're talking about Gaddafi. You're talking about we came, we saw, he died. You're talking about Hillary's State Department level decisions about our actions in Libya. You're criticizing all of that. There is a piece out there in the Democratic uh, National Convention League that talks about how really Obama's Libya plan was Hillary's Libya plan, and this is her weak spot. And so when Joe's taking shots at Libya, when he's saying, let's talk about Libya, what he's really saying in political speak is let's criticize Hillary. And we might ask the question, would we have been better off if they'd stayed? Let's take Libya. Saddam. Joe wants to start with Libya. Let's go Libya. I argue strongly against going to Libya. My my question was, okay, tell me what happens. He's gone. What happens? Doesn't the country disintegrate? What what happens then? Doesn't it become a place where it becomes a, a Petri dish for the growth of extremism? Tell me. Tell me what we're going to do. And it has. And it has. I don't think we should use Edit. force yeah. unless it meets certain basic criteria. Is it in the national security interest of the United States? Are our interest... Did they edit something that was more anti-Hillary? Directly threatened, number one, or our allies. Number two, is it, can we use it efficaciously? Will it work? And number three, can it be sustained? Sustained. Now, I can take you to any part of the world, and we put in... Two, three hundred thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand troops. We can absolutely end the carnage. Wow. But we're there now. Are we going to take, you know, my dad used to have an expression. He'd say, Joey, if everything's equally important to you, nothing's important to you. Tell me what is the what is our what, what are our greatest concerns in terms of our existential existence? So what did you think of those 51 diplomats in the State Department who said we need to be more Aggressive. The president and I and f- previous presidents support the right the process. of any diplomat to have a secure channel. We support the process. We support the process. That's what they always say. We'll have more about that uh, coming up in just a sec. Or actually, uh, how about right now? An important statement on U.S. strategy as far as Syria is concerned. That's what the Secretary of State John Kerry is calling an internal memo 
asking the White House to ramp up military action against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Aaron David Miller is with us. He's vice president of New Initiatives, distinguished scholar at the Woodrow Wilson International Center, spent a career as a State Department official working on various peace initiatives. <laughs> How unusual is it that 51 State Department, mostly career diplomats, write this memo saying... Mr. President, you must start bombing Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's positions. Otherwise, more and more Syrian innocent civ- civilians are going to be dead. I think there are two takeaways here. Number one, it's quite unusual. Dissent channel memos could be one, two, three, four individuals. This is a 51, which required probably weeks, if not months, of coordination in order to marshal the arguments. And two, somebody either authorized or not, uh, willfully leak the memo. So they've converted the dissent channel memo into what I would call a station identification memo over deep frustration in the State Department uh, with uh, the Obama administration's policies towards Syria. That's, that, that's, that, I think, is the takeaway. Just one other point. I don't think this is an issue, though, for this administration, because it's unlikely that the president is going to reconsider uh, or, or essentially agree with what the diplomats are proposing. Because over this five-year civil war over there, hundreds of thousands of civilians have been killed. Uh, millions have been made homeless internally or externally. And what these diplomats, these career professionals mostly, are saying, Mr. President, you have to do something to stop. And most of those people, they say, were killed by Bashar al-Assad's yeah, regime. I mean, look, 450,000. Is that what they're saying? Or is what they're saying that this campaign of uh, defeating Assad by grinding him into the ground, by throwing more and more terrorists, by just churning and churning and churning, is disgusting. It's it's right. It is a humanitarian disaster. And is the is the no, is the memo perhaps saying if the only way out is Assad's got to go, you got to wrap this thing up. Right. Dead. Yeah. Let's say 40 percent of those are regime supporters, which reflect the fact that this is essentially a civil war. Essentially. If we wanted essentially. to fundamentally degrade Assad's military capabilities or actually remove him, we could do it. The question is the eternal question, Wolf. How do you create a military strategy that leads to a sustainable set of political goals. And we've seen what happens. Russia is stepping up their support of uh, Assad in an extremely aggressive way. I have a link in the show notes about uh, U.S. air forces uh, were were defending ISIS locations. So they're protecting ISIS locations from other Russian fighter jets. And the Russian fighter jets circled from a distance. They were warned off by the U.S. Air Force. Right. Uh, and then – so they, they went off to a distance that they were ordered to go to and then when the U.S. Air Force had to go back to refuel, the Russians stri- struck the ISIS forces that the U.S. Air Forces were protecting. Wow. And then when uh, – I think they even went back and did a double tab on the uh, paramedics oh. that came to help. Yeah. And there were U.S. – there were U.S. Uh, probably mercenaries. I don't know what they were but uh, there's a clip about it in the overtime. Uh, and it's just – it is, it is such a thin line we are walking on right now. And so to talk about overthrowing Assad, Assad, when Russia is willing to do that dance right now, it feels, boy, like we are getting involved in a very, very, very slippery slope. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you got to be careful right now, especially in that environment and what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, man, that's yeah. crazy. All right, buddy. Uh, why don't we uh, take a moment and thank the supporters of this show. Yeah. Patreon.com slash unfilter is where you go to become one of those supporters. 456 of you. We really do appreciate your support. Uh, and 
there's a couple of perks for signing up. Not only do you keep the show on the air and you keep us sort of oriented in a way that is probably fundamental for a news show you can really trust. You want to have a set of priorities when you're doing a show like this that are really audience first. Is that probably a fair way to say it? I would say so. And yeah. and you can see really well why why this is just a disaster on the mainstream cable news networks. And so what we kind of try to do is we try to take the bits and bobs of all of the different sources. We try to put it together in a weekly narrative that sort of makes sense and give you our thoughts on it, our analysis on it. And, and it is definitely a flowing process where there's corrections made each week. We're going to make one here in a little bit. And the entire time, you know that our goal is to make 456 people happy. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's pretty nice. Yeah. And so with that, with the different levels, one of them is the 33 Club where we have the supporter sack. So let's open up Chase's sack here. Go ahead, buddy. Let's – woo! Yeah, it's very nice. Yes. Thanks, Chris. Yes, time for Chase's sack segment. Uh, this message, uh, by the way, came in from Remy. Hopefully I'm re- pronouncing your name right. Says, hey, the Brexit vote is tomorrow. He uh, gave us a link to Farage's final speech about it. It's a Dutch site, but English video, and we'll have a link to share. He says, I'm not biased to one camp, but I'm very interested in the result. And if we exit, the snowball effect in the Northern Europe countries. Furthermore, please do the mail sack thingy sound, which we did. Also, awesome to have the full live streams on Patreon Please do video sometimes. I guess he probably means us on video sometimes, I would assume. Oh, well, we were on video earlier in the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for a brief moment. So, so by the way, if you guys are in Club 33, um, you know, I, po- I post this before every show on Patreon exclusive to you guys. So if you want to send a note in, it can be about the show. It could be about us. It could be about what's going on in your world. Thanks to you guys who especially support us at Club 33. You guys get access to uh, you know, share your message on the air. I love it. It's a cool. It's a cool way to say. Thank and uh, we got to be scheduling this um, Google Hangouts soon at some point. Oh, because hmm. we do one thing that we also do That's now right. quarterly uh, for our Club Thirty Three supporters is a Google Plus Hangout. So I will be gone on the week of the six where we normally have a show, okay. and I don't know if Noah is going to be up for doing the show because it's so much. It's so much prep work that I just don't. I don't think. I don't think it's. Probably likely. Okay. Uh, so maybe what we do is the week I get back, okay. we do the hangout. It's sort of like a little, uh, hello, I'm back, and we'll do the hangout. Like, Yeah. yeah. And that's a great way that you'll get to see us on video because you'll be a part of that special so we'll, thing. Yeah, we'll chat more about that. Yeah. All right, patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, everybody. And uh, the BitTorrent sync is going to be replaced at some point, but uh, you know what? Now is a better time than ever to sign up because, A, I think it's up and uh, updated, fully updated right now, and B... Probably a good idea to help us back it up before we switch to another system. Hashtag just saying. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> YOLO. All right. So let's do a little follow-up on the Orlando shooter before we get into the DNC stuff. And then that's pretty much uh, – that's going to be it. It didn't make a red book. But I did say I bet the transcripts will come out. I, I bet I, – I would expect the transcripts to come out and they might even edit a few bits out. Well, <laughs> well today out. we learned what the gunman said to the Orlando 911 center after he set in motion the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Omar Mateen, who killed 49 people, pledged himself to the leader of ISIS in his call and in several calls that a police negotiator made to his cell phone. Here's David Begno. Oh, my 
God. People are getting shot, dude. Chilling. Calm and deliberate is how the FBI described Omar Mateen when he called 911 during the rampage. The FBI released the transcript of a 50-second 911 call Mateen made from inside the club nearly 30 minutes after he opened fire. Mateen, in the name of God the merciful, the beneficent. Operator, what? what? Praise be to God, Mateen goes on. What's your name? But, My name is I pledge of allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi of the Islamic State. But he didn't say God. He said Allah, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. Shortly after that 911 call, the FBI says crisis negotiators talked with Mateen three different times between 2.48 a.m. and 3.24. In that time, Mateen called himself an Islamic soldier and told negotiators to stop bombing Syria and Iraq, saying that's why he was out here right now. So, uh, as you probably know, when this first came out, they redacted parts of the uh, transcript. Did you see Correct. that? Yeah. Yes. Laura, thank you. So, what do the full 911 transcripts say, and what was originally edited out, and why? And why, when the killer said Allah, does a DOJ release transcript say God? Fox's chief intelligence correspondent, Catherine Harris, is here. Catherine, Allah is God in the um, Muslim right. faith, but, yeah. uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, no, it's catching a lot of people by surprise. Okay, so the first transcript, which had the edits in it, um, used the word God when he was speaking Arabic for Allah. Uh, they say that this was just a simple translation. Critics uh, say otherwise. The other thing that jumps out in the transcript. Why would it not? If it's a transcript, why is it not a transcript? So I know a transcriptionist and I will tell you that they don't translate. They write verbatim unless specified like saying, just give me a summary transcription, you know, take out all the ahs and ums and all that thing. But a transcript is like you say, what is spoken, what is said, no trans, you know, there's no translation happening. So that's very, very strange. Um, use the word God when he was speaking Arabic for Allah. Uh, they say that this was just a simple translation. Critics okay. uh, say otherwise. The other thing that jumps out in the transcript is that his Pledge of Allegiance to ISIS and its leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was not a one-off. There's like a steady drumbeat throughout these tapes and in the negotiations with the crisis team of this Pledge of Allegiance. So he really declares himself very effectively as a follower of the Islamic State. Yeah, in fact, it seems to be the only thing he wants to get across over and over and over again. It's very, very much like he was almost... Do you have any clips or any information about what's currently being uh, like discussed today? About that first one, right? Well, well there's uh, some things that I was hearing uh, about today, where people have contacted the FBI saying that they were uh, his gay lover. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. I decided not to grab the. Uh, the I'm just, it, I'm but. just, I mean, I'm, and and, and they were saying that he's doing this because he was upset about you know broken relationships, and a, another guy was seeing some other guy. And that sort of thing, which would lead back to my original thing was just because the guy says that he's a follower, just because that he says, you know, he's uh, uh, doing this to ISIS, may just be a whole ruse. And it makes me wonder if that's still the case when they just said in that clip there that he was very, very specific, had a, a cadence to, to push his message across. Like you've been coached. I don't know if I go that far, Chris. Are you? Are, wait. I yeah I thought I smelled some yeah. conspiracy bacon. 
this bacon, by the way, yeah. very delicious bacon from Snohomish. I got to do my I got to do my conspiracy bacon stretches yeah. real quick here. Mm. Yeah. So you're, are you saying that you think he was coached? Well, before I get to the conspiracy, here's, the here's, what, here's what I know. <laughs> here's what I know. All right. Uh, I know that he worked with the FBI on and off. I were, I know that under a previous name, he he made money. He was paid by the FBI. I know that he was investigated by now, the do FBI. We, do I we know have that, sources on that? Do we have in, in last week's show notes? I do. So it's in the notes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in uh, I I know that uh, he worked for a security company, international security company, at that. Uh, so. I also know that a lot of the people that fit the narrative where the FBI was working with them had something wrong with them. There was – they, in fact, there was a study that was recently done. I think we linked to it three or four weeks ago now where oh – boy, it would be so, so awesome if somebody in the audience went through and like categorized all these links for like major categories and put and organized them because I linked to like a New York Times article that looked at all of the cases of terrorism that the FBI has proactively stopped right. and a really high percentage of them that people have a mental illness or they have some other condition or situation going on. Uh, and and sometimes it's like uh, in one case I think I'm re- reading through it was like a really really strange family dynamic, mm-hmm. and that made this person just really off kilter. And so it it seems to me that if somebody is struggling with a really strong religion, if somebody's struggling with a really strong sexual identity crisis, and and also I know that his ex wife was told by the FBI not to talk about his gay tendencies. She came out later and said, "Yeah, they instructed me during my first interview not to talk about this, but this is a huge aspect of who he is. I know he has gay tendencies, and I think his ex, I think his current uh, fiance, whatever she is, knows about it. So I know all of these things are true. Now, what I don't know." Is if he was going to be coached and something went wrong, I don't know if he uh, was told to make a call or if he decided to do that. Right. Who, who really – those things I, I feel like I, I feel like are almost, almost immaterial though too. Like if you look at our gun discussion we had earlier and where we're going with this conversation now, a lot of this stuff – it doesn't really matter anymore in, in, a, in, a, like a, in a big picture sense. Right. Yeah. No. We just you – know, now the narrative and the discussion moves on and it moves forward right. to – guns and it moves forward to ISIS influences and it moves it just uh it is it is a really hot topic to talk about right now oh, but totally. it, it seems yeah. like it, it it seems like there is so much more to this that we are not being told oh to- <laughs> and so i feel you like you need a conspiracy theorist on that one. i feel well i feel like i could go into deeper conspiracy into it but i feel that it's too hot of a topic it and it doesn't really actually Totally matter. I mean, for those of us who care about how these things come to fruition and how it, how it, why it keeps happening, we, it matters. But in the big picture, it doesn't really matter because it's already happened. And now we're, now it's moved on. We're we're right. on to the next reactionary. Yeah. 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 Anyways, uh, that's I, I think probably our end of coverage on the Orlando shooting. I'm not sure. I would guess so. No uh, I want to shift gears to the election because I do want to get into uh, the DNC leak. We were talking about Napolitano earlier. Well, or I'm sorry, yeah. Gary Johnson. I yeah. do have a Napolitano yeah, clip. Yeah, the Libertarian. That, I have a Napolitano clip that I'm going to leave in the supporters think in the 2016 category just to pick up the now, pace here. But we do have a Gary Johnson clip I want to talk about. And by the way, I, I made a prediction. Oh, you really? We well, don't remember never do that. last last week. We never do that. Last week on the show, I even texted it to you as soon as it was like that it wasn't a Russian leak. That 
that you know and and I said it on the show I was like I bet you they're just saying it it's right, not yep, really yep, but yep. and sure enough there was a report yeah, pushed yeah, out yeah. about that we're going to get that hold on all right I can't wait first, I can't wait do you want to talk can you mind talking about Gary Johnson for a moment just to sort of warm us up into 2016 Gary Johnson libertarian uh, Look at this. candidate for president from New Mexico governor Gary Johnson goes out front for an unprecedented amount of airtime I don't know if we can ever claim to stop a terrorist attack when you're talking about somebody who is just uh, maniacal and deranged and ready to give their own life. Um, But there are things, I think, that perhaps could be done. And what I would really be curious to know is what did transpire between him and the FBI? What was the context of those three interviews at the FBI? This guy's speaking my language. I did. And I know that the FBI front and center um, has some input on, on what they might do differently in the future. No way do I want to fault the FBI. I'm sure they're faulting themselves. Here it is. This guy was in front of the FBI three times, interviewed three times, and yet um, this act did occur. You have said um, you, you, you don't support a ban on Muslims in the United States, obviously. I do not support a ban on Muslims entering the country. And you don't support uh, more gun restrictions? I don't. I'm in the camp that believes that if you restrict guns, uh, the bad guys are going to have guns. Just that simple. So you think it won't stop them. Here's what Bill Clinton said, though, about what happened on Saturday night uh, in that Orlando club and why he thinks gun control would have made a difference. Here he is. If the guy had just had a pistol in that nightclub, I don't think anybody believes he could possibly have killed 49 people. Well, and it was also, and, and I, I you, you, hate to, you hate to second guess anything, but all these uh, events, too, are occurring. All these uh, horrific uh, shootings are happening in gun-free zones, where if potentially it wasn't a gun-free zone and that there were a number of people in that nightclub that might have been carrying weapons for self-defense, that it may have... Um, lessen the tragedy. And and by no means do I want to uh, second-guess anything. So the bottom line is you don't believe that, that guns are the issue. You have a, had a message that has resonated with more and more people, Governor. All right, look, now you're between 9 and 12% in some new polls. Your numbers have really gone up. 15% is the magic number. You get 15%, you're going to be sitting on stage with he, Hillary Clinton get and Donald Trump in the debates. Whoa. That <laughs> might just happen. So, so... Okay. What are you going to do to make that happen? A unique unique position that myself and Bill Wald, my running mate, have, and that is is that we are fiscally conservative, over the top. We're socially liberal, but it really doesn't matter whether you're socially liberal or conservative, as long as you don't force that on other people. Let people make decisions in their own lives. And then lastly, with regard to our military interventions, I think our military interventions have resulted in the world being less safe, not more safe. So what do you do if you don't get to 15 percent, if you're not on that debate stage? What's your strategy? Well, there's no way to win. There's no way to get elected president of the United States. And the only chance that I have of being elected is to be in the presidential debates. Some big name Republicans, as you know, detest Donald Trump. Did they edit there? Yeah, they did. Uh, so this is interesting because, uh, I had a chance to, I had three. Now, which poll do they go off of? Is it just a, uh, there's, uh, there's several, uh, but I don't know which one they decide that pushes them over the edge. I don't know whose poll it is. I think several have to come together. 
Uh, so I had three family events this weekend. I had a wedding Friday night. Wow, look at you. Yeah, dude. It was exhausting. That's why you're tired. Yeah, and plus I'm not sleeping very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. In fact, I'm having a hard time remembering all the different events. I had a wedding Friday night, a Father's Day event Saturday night, and another Father's Day event Sunday night. And so I got to talk to a lot of family members, all different political spectrums. Some of them had traveled in from uh, California and Florida. So you had Trump fans, Hillary fans. <clears throat> Any Gary fans? You know, any conservatives in my family uh, were very much they're more they're more your your Mitt Romney type conservative. Uh, Do you know yes, what I mean? Putting putting the cat on the top of the car. Yeah, they're they're dog, more, yeah, sorry. they're more of a, yeah they're more of a, a good old a good old boy and good old gals kind of uh, Republican. So th- some of them are saying they're not going to vote. That's what a lot of the women wow, I talked to really? said they're not going to vote. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Wow. Um, and uh, I think. I think because you know what, there is still a lot of time left. We it seems like the elections are near, but with still plenty, we have all we got of summer. Plenty of time. We haven't even had the conventions yet. I think I think Gary Johnson could have a shot to get in fifteen percent because I think there could be a a a movement afoot. I don't know if it's going to be for Gary Johnson, but uh, you heard that Apple made news that they're not going to be uh, funding the uh, the uh, Republican convention because of Trump. Oh, you heard, I did not okay. hear about that. No. Then a couple of days later, Tim Cook comes out and says, but I personally will raise – I will have a fundraiser for Paul Ryan. What? Yeah. So oh, uh, man. I, want, I think there might be a movement afoot. Uh, but anyways, uh, so may, may, I think my, some of those family members may be looking at Gary Johnson. Fair word to use. Of course, there's that weed Mitt issue. Among them, he says he will not vote for Donald Trump. He's going to, to write in a name or he's going to vote for someone else, possibly you. Here's what he told Wolf Blitzer about you specifically. I'm going to look at what he has to say. Uh, his running mate, Bill Weld, is someone who I respect enormously. Former Republican governor of Massachusetts. Exactly. And he was a, a fine governor, a fine friend, a supporter of mine, both in 2008 and 2012. Uh, if Bill Weld were at the top of the ticket, it would be very easy for me to vote for Bill Weld for president. So I'll get to know uh, Gary Johnson better and see if he's someone who uh, I, could, uh, I could end up voting for. Have you had any conversations uh, with Mitt Romney? Uh, I have not, but I think that echoes uh, the sentiment of a lot of Republicans, and I, I think it's also sentiment among a lot of Democrats. And I don't want to either say that that's elected officials. I mean, elected officials, at the end of the day, kind of have to line up rank and file. It's too bad that uh, Paul Ryan has really uh, stuck his neck out, if you will, uh, endorsing Donald Trump, and then subsequently having to say that today talking about them. Why don't we go to Paul Ryan really quickly because I think this is actually a fascinating position that Paul Ryan is in. So Paul Ryan uh, came out with a statement and he said, uh, look, uh, I, even if uh, even uh, what do you say? He said something like, uh, I have to support Donald Trump. But that but I want the other Republicans to follow their heart or something. I can't remember exactly what they said, what he said. But it was it was really interesting. This clip might uh this might talk about it. So now that Speaker Paul Ryan has endorsed Donald Trump, he's telling Republicans to follow his example, right? Nope. Ryan says his fellow Republicans should follow their conscience. And now there is a new movement among delegates to ditch the convention rules and free delegates to do exactly that. In other words, get your popcorn out because it's going to be a hell of a show. <laughs> so even Paul, so Tim Cook's raising money for Paul Ryan, who's yeah. saying you don't have to necessarily support Trump, which is I wonder if maybe that they're going to funnel weird. that money to somewhere else. 
So before we get to Trump, why don't we get to the Hill Dog leak? Because this is a huge story, and yeah. I'm wanting to cover it all episode. Here's a little setup. From the campaign trail, the Washington Post reporting the Russian government hacked into the computer network of the Democratic National Committee and gained access to a database containing opposition research on Donald Trump. So you remember this story? Yeah. So this, uh, this story continued to air after we got off the air. Uh, let's see this. Uh, this one aired, uh, uh, pulling it up here, uh, the day of our show. That's when that clip aired, okay? Okay. Then a couple days later, it turns out, well, Chase was right. It wasn't Russian hackers. It was this hacker named a Guccifer. A hacker going by the name of Guccifer 2.0 has leaked documents <laughs> stolen from the U.S. Democratic National Committee, describing how Hillary Clinton's campaign was planning to undermine Donald Trump. The cyber attack had earlier been blamed on Russian hackers. Here's RT's Guyane Chichikan with more on the hacking scandal. Guccifer 2.0 says that he acted alone. This comes a day after the Democratic Party, along with a security firm called CrowdStrike, which the party hired, said they believed their systems were hacked by two groups of Russian government hackers. Here's my uh, conspiracy bacon on this one, Chase. Mm. Wait, more bacon from Snohomish? Yeah. I think that the DNC got these guys in there and they got this story out about Russian hackers to get that narrative out there before this story dropped because they knew this story was coming. And so that whole thing was a ruse to get us talking about Russian hackers because Russian hackers are way more badass than some guy. They believed their systems were hacked by two groups of Russian government hackers. The cyber firm said the group the groups were among, quote, the best threat actors that we've ever encountered, end quote. <laughs> Guccifer 2.0 in his blog thanked the security firm for the compliments, saying, quote, I'm very pleased the company appreciated my skills so highly, but in fact, it was easy. Very easy, end quote. <laughs> the Democratic Party is not a government entity, and I asked the State Department if U.S. authorities were looking into these allegations. The spokesperson had no comment on the story. I would refer you to the DNC for comment on this. Uh, is the government looking into this? Uh, I'd re- you'd have to talk to the DNC. The Russian government reacted by <laughs> saying, quote, He's, She's asking if the government the government. Is. You'd have to, you'd talk, have to, to talk to the DNC. No, I'm asking you. You're yeah, the government. I know, I know the DNC might be. Are you? Uh, I'd re- you'd have to talk to the DNC. And- the Russian government reacted by saying, quote, head, It's though, easier no. to blame enemies than to admit one's own incompetence. <laughs> Even after Guccifer 2.0 said he acted alone, CrowdStrike did not back down from its claims that no. the Russian government was involved. We're exploring the document's authenticity and origin. Regardless, these claims do nothing to lessen our findings relating to the Russian government's involvement, portions of which have been documented for the public and the greater security community. Guccifer 2.0 says the documents that he published are just a snippet of what is to come. He says he saved thousands of documents, most of which he turned over to WikiLeaks. So we may see them on WikiLeaks soon. We will. Remember, Julian Assange said what WikiLeaks has to publish will be enough to indict the Democratic presumptive nominee Hillary Clinton. He was referring to the emails. But maybe the new WikiLeaks document dump will include more than the emails of the former secretary. Well, we have some of it, and uh, we're going to go through it. And it's it's good, but uh, one more, one more story. Uh. So a hack attack against hack the attack. DNC, purportedly revealing a treasure trove of documents related to Hillary Clinton, including 
Democrats' lines on defense, like topics uh, on topics like Libya and on Benghazi as well. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge uh, looking into all this, and she joins us with more this morning. Good morning, Catherine. Well, thank you, Martha. Some of these documents give She's us a window into the issues the DNC and the Clinton campaign are worried about and how they will combat them in the media. On the use of her unsecured private server by then-Secretary Clinton for Government Business, the documents say the emphasis should be placed on how the use of private email was not prohibited, that federal regulations give government officials the flexibility to determine which emails are public, and that she turned over more emails than any other secretary. But the State Department watchdog found just last month that Mrs. Clinton broke virtually every rule when it came to Oops. emails and that her use of a personal server was never authorized. Oh. And despite what she said publicly, she never gave an interview to government investigators. Shit. Meantime, today, Clinton IT specialist Brian Pagliano will be questioned by <laughs> Judicial Watch, where he is expected to perhaps set an indoor record for Ew. taking the fifth. The conservative group said it plans <laughs> to ask every record. question on their list and force Pagliano to invoke his Fifth Amendment rights in every response. As you recall, the federal court recently ruled his immunity deal can be kept secret because of the FBI's ongoing criminal investigation, Martha. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. So what about the uh, story that WikiLeaks claims that they have some of Hillary Clinton's emails? Is that credible? OMG, OMG, OMG. Well, the head of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, really has a track Assange. record for relief releasing authentic documents, and he now says that he's going to release some of the Clinton emails perhaps within the next few weeks. This suggests the Clinton server was compromised by a third party, and an NSA whistleblower says there is no doubt in his mind that Clinton and her team put ease of access to the server over security. I mean, even, even Putin is saying he's going to release some of the emails. So... You know, it's just it shows that it, when you take it out and put it out in the open environment, that it's vulnerable to attack from all people in the world, hackers, governments, everybody. The Clinton campaign has consistently maintained that there's no evidence of a breach, but this is really uh, a position that's getting harder and harder uh, to argue, given uh, the new claims by WikiLeaks, uh, the reporting uh, citing the Russian government, and then, of course, our reporting here at Fox News that the Romanian hacker said he got inside that server. Mark. Nobody does props. Nobody does props like she does. No, i got to go no, back to that. She's so good. Yeah. Look so, at that. <clears throat> boom. Now, we can't go that good. But uh, we do have now. So you don't get to see much there. No, no. But she, well, you know what she does? She makes sure she has the right side showing to the camera. Mm-hmm. She's good at it. Thank you, Martha. Some of Watch these the, documents boom. give us a window. In I love the swing up that she does, and unfortunately, the uh, director didn't cut soon enough, or she did it too soon. She has such a good swing up process. Well, Watch you, her hand. Some of these documents boom. give us you a window that? into yeah. the issues, the DNC. So just visualize as uh, uh, as we go through this. So uh, here we go. The, we have some of these here, and uh, these are all in the supporters' sink. There's a lot we can go through. Producer Matt has one he thought would be fun for us to go through. Okay. But we have all kinds, like um, position cheat sheets for different uh, Democrats and their positions, uh, uh, different positions, Hillary's official positions on different things like estate tax, H-1B-1 visas, no-fault divorces, NSA and Snowden. It's kind of interesting. You want to open up the NSA and Snowden one? So these are in Doc X, and okay. you can see at the top they have a matrix of different head uh, Democrats and their positions, and they even have Sanders in here at a certain point. So what this is is this is a treasure trove of very, very aggressive and honest research that the DNC proactively did against Hillary to investigate the Clinton Foundation, to investigate email stuff, and they have dug up some shit on her. Wow. Yeah, and it's in this cache. It's great. <laughs> it really is great. So – um. 
Let's keep, so here with uh, 2016 Dems on the TPP, Martin O'Malley opposed the trans. So each they have each uh, Vice President Biden and their quotes, the statements, links, and dates to where they did it. So everything's referenced and sourced. So that way, when a topic wow. comes up, they're ready to jump with their response. This is really good. Yeah, this is good stuff. Attack. Look at all the categories of different attacks on Clinton's and their, and their summaries. So attacks on Clinton seven nineteen fifteen. Lindsey Graham, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie, each person's attack on Clinton. Bobby Jindal in there, I see. Wow. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of stuff on uh, – here's like here's the Clinton Foundation donors that contributed more than $25,000. A couple of names you might recognize. Uh, the XPRIZE Foundation has contributed more than $25,000 to the Clinton Foundation. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, William Sonoma, Shirley, uh, Sheridan Williams, uh, Women's Food Service Forum, Women's Funding Network. You might recognize Yahoo Employees Foundation, Young Presidents Organization. That's an interesting one. And some names, too, that are on there, uh, like Ron Howard. <laughs> Ron Howard's on there. Uh, they've donated more than $25,000. Foreign donors, uh, Happy Hearts Invoice, uh, it, it breakdowns of costs. For uh, things in the Clinton Foundation, corporate donors to the Clinton Foundation, and there's a good one, huh? See these, this kind of stuff. Why is it that you know? No, is it to give a credibility and highest why, paid contractors? Why, why isn't this not being uh, executive producers, stage crew providers, video system vendors? Uh, we're talking big numbers here: four hundred ninety-two thousand dollars, six hundred forty-one thousand wow. dollars. Yeah, yeah. Now, your question is, is, why do they have all this research? Well, I mean, no, they have. We know why, but but why isn't this being not more talked about and exploited, Chris? Oh well, maybe it will. You think? Maybe it will. Here, here's a breakdown uh, of the uh, Clinton Foundation uh, spending in a, in a pretty nice spreadsheet. Here, remember, you were making jokes about uh, the writer uh, that she has. Yes, uh, for for her speaking engagements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So we have a lot of good stuff here. Uh, but the one that producer Matt thought we should go through is Clinton Foundation Vulnerabilities Master Doc. So we're going to find that. So uh, we're, let's, let's look for Master Doc. So we have – wow, look at all these that are officially Master Docs. <laughs> look at that, Chase, huh? Here, let's wow. break it down into a list so we can see these are all – so we have uh, Hillary Clinton Master Doc, Joe Biden Master Doc. Ooh, let's, Uncle uh, take, Joe. Let's take a little diversion into there. Uh, vice has been a strident voice of skepticism about the use of American force. Uh, vice president voted against the Gulf War. Um, so they have a contrasting him with other Democrats. They contrast him with Obama. They contrast him with Hillary Clinton. Huh. Man. Interesting, yeah. I, his positions on Iran, on Israel, on Russia. Vice President Biden said to Russian President Vladimir Putin, I'm looking into your eyes and I don't think you have a soul. As I, as I turned, I was close to him. Biden held his hand a few inches from his nose and said, I, I said, Mr. Prime Minister, I'm looking into your eyes and I don't think you have a soul. So I guess that's his position on Russia. Relationship, look at this, they have it with Malaki, uh, criticisms for relationships with Malaki. So they have crit- common criticisms of, of Obama in here. Federalism of Iraq. Wow. Wow. Wow, his issues on the federalism of – federal – jeez, I can't say that word. Federalism. Thank you, sir. All right, but so we got to keep looking. A lot of master plans in here, uh, like Hillary Rodham Clinton defense in Syria, her defense for women. Look at this stuff, Libya and Russia. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, everybody attacking her on that. Um, this is 
this is some you can see what you have here is a massive organization that has employees that are generating lots of output and they're not using necessarily the best security practices <laughs> obviously not yeah all right wow. so i was going to look so what so this will do we'll do uh uh foundation master master doc is or something like that yeah foundation master doc vulnerabilities master doc final here it is let's take a look at this one all right let's take a look the clinton foundation revealed the names of its donors and a range of contributions totals upon a secretary so uh, let's see so uh this looks like a lot of research holy sh- uh, this is uh <laughs> 42 pages of research on oh this my right goodness here. man wow, wow. They're talking about the uh, the connections to the XL pipeline in here. Uh, this is really so they're they're they really obviously feel like this is a this is a central soft spot for it. I've I've been saying that too. Clinton Foundation and the Presidential Library. The Clinton Fe- Library is a, uh, is Bill Clinton's Presidential Library raised more than ten percent of the cost of its one hundred sixty five million facility from foreign sources. Uh, yeah, the Clinton Foundation is really only established. For the library. That's what the point of the foundation is. Now that's doing all this global initiative stuff and uh, helping right. out with all these different things, quote unquote. That's not what it's actually established for. Huh. They're they breaking down the Middle Eastern investors who've given a million dollars each. This is an incredible amount of information. Hmm. They're talking about policy changes in the administration that, that some of the donors wanted. So this is a huge leak and people could really dig through it. I've, I've been reading through it just to try to get more insight into the Hillary Clinton campaign, really. Just try to understand a little bit more about about all of this because it's it's. Well, you remember ne- your next president, right, Chris? Do you remember when they leaked a huge thing on uh, uh, on uh, McCain? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have great. This is if you're if you're a supporter and you have this thing. This is a this is a really great thing to dig through. So go look through all of that. Uh, now let's get back onto uh, the uh, 2016 or, or the 2016 ers as they say in the, in the Hillary Clinton docs. This uh, this week has been a little rough for Trump. He's been. Uh, He's been having to make some changes. Reports from our NBC News reporters confirming that campaign manager for Donald Trump, Corey Lewandowski, has left the campaign. Lewandowski has been a fixture of the small team that has surrounded Donald Trump since he announced over a year ago that he would be running for president. Corey Lewandowski has been embattled at times earlier in the spring, living through the situation of being accused by a Breitbart reporter of approaching and assaulting her by grabbing her away from the GOP presumptive nominee uh, when she was asking a question. Uh, He was arrested and that charge was later dismissed against him. I believe it was simple assault was how it was categorized. Uh, But that was never moved forward in terms of process in the state of Florida. But again, the breaking news is that Corey Lewandowski has left the Trump campaign. Breaking news, breaking news. And the Republicans plan to put somebody who's more Republican establishment friendly in his place. And the money situation's bad for Trump so right now. So let's talk about money because it, it, this is according this to what our... This is Ben Carson. That you have um, well, $1.7 million dollars cash on hand. He has $1.2 million dollars cash on hand. So Carson, whose campaign has been suspended, has more money on, ca- on hand right now than Trump does. You have uh, $1.7 million dollars cash on hand. He has $1.2 million cash on hand. Your campaign, which is suspended, has more money on hand. Should that be a concern for them? Uh, I think there is a process in place right now. Which is probably why the campaign manager got fired, right? Yeah. 
Republican establishments coming in. They're going to offer him money. They're going to offer him leadership in the for the campaign. And so the problem's already begun to get fixed, but it's not good. Now, here's the story about Apple. Well, now to a Fox Business Alert, Apple taking a major stand against Donald Trump in the upcoming Republican National Convention. Our Cheryl Cassoni from our sister network, Fox Business, is here to explain this. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning. Hey, good morning, ladies. Well, this is Apple, and we've seen the company start to get a little political in the past, but now the company's saying it will not provide any monetary support or technical support to the GOP convention <laughs> no that's coming up uh, in Cleveland, no Ohio. Apple uh, no official comment coming from Apple, but several reports have confirmed that this is indeed happening. Uh, basically, the GO, excuse me, Apple, the company is saying that because of comments that Donald Trump has made about women, uh, minorities, and immigrants, um, that Tim Cook, according to these reports, Tim Cook said that he just couldn't, in good faith, be a part in any way of the GOP convention. Oh. And forget that Donald Trump at one point called for a boycott of Apple that is as well. Might be some sour grapes point. or sour apples there. <laughs> also, uh, showing you say we need to check our Ticketmaster. Uh, uh, but he is fundraising for uh, Paul Ryan. I, th- I thought I, I thought I've heard Cook say before he's a Democrat, but uh, I ain't sure. So, anyways, so Paul Ryan raising money. Not really sure what's going on behind the so scenes. Now that Speaker Paul, oh, we played that clip because I played out of order for you. That's right. Uh, but it looks like I think I think Paul Ryan's got something up his sleeve. I think there's there is a oh, push. Yeah. A, yeah. Fr- a push. What do you say? What'd you say? A push. Um, a front. A, a ruse. Uh, a ruse. There's like a like an under. A coup? A coup! Yeah, a coup! Great convention in Cleveland. Donald Trump looking ahead to his party's convention, but CNN has learned that some Republicans are looking into ways to block Trump's nomination in Cleveland, including changing the rules to free delegates bound to Trump to vote for whomever they want. It was the subject of a call Thursday night, first reported by the Washington Post. One participant on the call, former Cruz supporter Steve Lonigan, told CNN today, these delegates have a moral obligation to nominate a candidate who best represents the values of the Republican Party. House Speaker Paul Ryan today telling Republicans they should feel free to follow their conscience and whether or not to support Trump. I actually think that's a really huge deal because he should be... Can you can you can you picture a time when whenever this could have happened before where he wouldn't have been like you have to support the candidate? Right. No. This Never. seems that this seems historic. The last thing I would do is tell anybody to do something that's contrary to their conscience. Of course, I wouldn't do that. Ryan, though, is standing by his endorsement of the presumptive nominee. This is a very unique n- nominee, um, but I feel as a responsibility institutionally as the Speaker of the House. So he can't publicly say don't vote for him. That I should not be leading some chasm in the middle of our party. Yet the divide within the party appears to be growing, with the convention now just a month away. He's a sinking island. His poll numbers are underwater. His his poll numbers continue to go down compared to Hillary Clinton. And it's about to get a lot worse. As talks about a convention coup continue to swirl, Trump remains defiant, saying he's prepared to run with or without the full backing of the party. Just please be quiet. Don't talk. Please be quiet. Just be quiet to the leaders because they have to get tougher. They have to get sharper. They have to get smarter. We have to have our Republicans either stick together or let me just do it by myself. Late today, Trump released a statement warning about any effort to deny him the nomination, saying any such move would not only be totally illegal, but also a rebuke of the millions of people who feel so strongly about what I'm saying. That's going to be super interesting. And Chris, the summer 
of politics is just beginning. If he makes it. If he makes and it. on an unrelated note, Jake, we should uh, report now that we are hearing from a law enforcement source that the 19-year-old man who was arrested at a Donald Trump rally in Las Vegas over the weekend, uh, we are being told now that that individual, a 19-year-old named Michael Sanford, according to this law enforcement source, uh, he attempted to uh, grab a gun from a police officer there at the event. We are now told by this source uh, that this uh, this 19-year-old man told authorities or has told authorities in uh, the last uh, couple of days that he intended to use that gun to kill Donald Trump OMG, at OMG, that OMG, campaign OMG. event. Uh, Jake, uh, we're uh, right now trying to get more information about this, uh, not only from the U.S. Secret Service, but uh, from the Las Vegas Police Department. But we are hearing from a law enforcement source. He's actually making headlines all around the world. I talked to somebody from New Zealand today that uh, had heard about it. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, any thoughts? Any any other thoughts on Trump before uh, we uh, end on a high note? I, I, I sent you a link earlier about how Trump will leave. The, right. Uh, yeah. Remind me. It, it was a Gawker article, uh, and they had four different theories about when and and when Trump should be leaving the race because obviously he. Their theory is he didn't think he would get the nomination. He just wanted to get up on stage, and so they they had different. Uh, doesn't this sound it. like the same line of thinking that has caused that have caused people to underestimate Donald Trump the entire time? In the, in the first, like you, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. which I am not trying. I am not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> I think he's. I think you know you can't deny it. You can't deny it. He's resonated with some people. People, but I think those people are are people who hate politicians. Right. They hate. They hate the whole system uh, because you know they lie about everything. Like how dangerous marijuana is. High note. Attitudes are changing on the healing potential of pot. 25 states plus Washington, D.C. have enacted laws to legalize medical marijuana. First on CBS This Morning, a new survey from Prevention Magazine reveals 75% of Americans think it should be legal. One of the interesting things about this show, if you go back over 193 episodes and watch our coverage of cannabis, CBS has gone from like the biggest skeptics in this to this. They're is, all in. This is like a pretty positive piece so far. So I was kind of like, what is going survey on here? From Prevention Magazine reveals 75% of Americans think it should be legal. 35% would be extremely or very likely to use medical pot if advised by a doctor. Our Dr. Holly Phillips is here. Holly, good morning. Good morning, Nora. So now that it's legal in half of the United States, sure. what more can be done? Well, you know, right now, what we can say... Well, what is being prescribed for, I should say. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, well, it's being prescribed primarily for pain. And oh, she went off script there. Did you, did you catch that? That oh. could be pain from headaches, cancer pain. It's prescribed in a lot of other settings, too, uh, for people who have nausea for, from chemotherapy. It's being studied for post-traumatic stress disorder in veterans. Uh, it's being used for muscle spasms, for people who have multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's disease to improve their appetite. It really is being prescribed for a wide variety of uses right now. And how effective is it? Well, so that's the question, Gail. We do have some evidence that it works. We need more. Right now we've got some small studies, strong international data. What I like about that one is we got some small studies uh, where, uh, you know, 
like you know parents and things. Like that. We got some small studies, and then we have this thing called international data, where uh, you know entire countries have data and they have research going <laughs> but on. We this. can't take those seriously. Right now, we've got some small studies, strong international data, patient testimonials. What we're waiting for is a big gold standard randomized controls uh, trial to show how it works and why. Yeah, we do. But, you know what's interesting is part of the reason we don't have that has to do with the drug scheduling. There it is. Since 1970, marijuana has yep. been a Schedule One drug. I, wait, wait, wait. Can you believe it? I read book this. Yeah, CBS. Hold on, I gotta find that on your CBS Morning News program, Chase. While you peruse the red book, peruse. I will. Uh, can you believe this is really good? Because wow. this is truly the issue: is we need to know more about it. And when it's scheduled wrong, we can't. And the scheduling system is it's such a it's so it's so it's so Nixon. Oh. It's so done. I can't. How it works and I why. Can't. But you know what's interesting is part of the reason we don't have that has to do with the drug scheduling. Since 1970, marijuana has been a Schedule One drug. There's five schedules in the DEA. Schedule One is for the most dangerous drugs, the ones mm. with the highest potential for abuse and no medical benefit. That makes it hard to study. Researchers have to get approval from three different government agencies at least. Mm. And the red tape is so daunting that studies don't get off the ground. Specifically to abuse. I've talked to NFL players for years and years about this. This is a really good way to go with this because uh, opioids are out of control. And this is a huge problem in sports, and especially ones that can stay in your system for a while. And they say to a man, they would much rather use something like medical marijuana mm. than the Percocet and the Vicodin that they've seen a previous generation of players use and abuse, and they've seen what opioid addiction can do. They've seen uh, it for years. That's a good angle to go at, I think. I think that's a good angle. Did your Was your red book search fruitful? Uh, Unfilter, episode 106 on July 16th, 2014. I think I like it when we put the date in there. Uh... Stair-step approach from uh, Schedule 1. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. It just hasn't happened yet. But, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, and this is, this is starting that discussion. It just takes forever. So I thought, I thought the, uh, you know, the, the poor, rich athletes angle actually would resonate well with the morning crowd. Seeing what opioid addiction can do. They've seen uh, it for years. Absolutely. I mean, Josh, that's, that's one of the most critical points. And I think that, you know, when we look at the prevention survey that showed a much greater acceptance of the use of medical marijuana, that's what's underlying it. For instance, here's what we know. Uh, someone dies of a prescription overdose every 19 minutes. Someone dies of a prescription overdose every 19 minutes. Wow. That, that is, woo! Prescription overdose every 19 minutes. The opioid painkillers uh, kill thousands of people a year. Uh, lethal overdoses with marijuana really aren't a concern. They yeah, they don't happen. They've <laughs> been documented rarely, if ever. So while we still need more evidence to show what medical marijuana can do, whether it's effective, we definitely know when it comes to treating pain, it's safer than the opioid drugs. Percocet. And, it's, and you're and unlikely to die from a, a marijuana overdose. As much you much less likely. Like not. Right. Thanks, like no. There you go, Chase. There you go. That's... Brings us to the end. Oh, man. 193. A high note that we haven't had for a while. And that was actually a good positive one from a major I network. I agree. I hope, my hope is that we get a lot of reporting out of the DNC leak stuff. It seems like Fox News should be all in on going through that. They had, you know, they already have the props. Yep. Um, and maybe we could see some other news outlets. I think uh, I've seen the Young Turks covering it a bit, too. So there are some news outlets talking about it. Probably are. I got to figure RT is going to go through it. But I, CNN... I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I, 
I suspect that could be a big story next week if people continue to dig into it. We'll also have the Brexit results. The markets are kind of saying it's not. Maybe some clips from the Libertarian Town Hall that CNN's going to be that doing. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I will try to remember to grab that. Uh, and, of course, maybe we'll have a better idea of who's going to be running Trump's campaign now and how yeah. connected he is to the Republican Party. Oh, my God, don't let it be Karl Rove. Also, we will try to have the results of the Brexit. We will try to have all of that to you. And you can help us. You can supply us with news at unfilter.reddit.com. Wow, is this like a site where I can like engage in conversation and got it, submit stories and, true. and comment with other people it's in true. the community? It's true. It's That's true. amazing. It's true. It's now, true. what if what if I, I chose to wanted to interact with you, Chris, or the Me? network? Yeah. What if I wanted to do that? Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm at Chris LAS. That's a great place to go. And the network is at Jupiter Signal, which is... Andy, from time to time. Also, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar nice. for our lifetimes. Remember, we may not have, we probably won't have an episode the first week of July. I'm going on by KK. Fair enough. Fair but Chase, enough. Yes, I'm Chris. not the only one on the Twitter. No, I'm there too. What? At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Whoa. Say it again. At, at N-U-N-E-S on Twitter. And by oh. the way, follow at Geek Gamer TV on Twitter Do as it. well because might be doing some PAX coverage this year for the fifth year in a row. Oh, oh man. Yeah. That's great, buddy. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning this week's episode of Unfiltered. Don't forget the overtime's coming up, so don't go anywhere, and we'll see you back here next, next week. week. Episode 193 isn't over yet. That's right. It's time for the Unfilter Overtime. Starting up the Overtime segment brought to you by our supporters. OMG, OMG, OMG. Thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash unfilter. I don't even have the current uh, new count this week because uh, I was out uh, at a daddy-daughter date. With my youngest, and I just got into the studio. But we have 456 patrons. So thank you for your support at, at patreon.com slash unfilter unfilters support page. This segment is dedicated to you. And I appreciate it very much. Now we do have some overtime clips for you that I got to start playing right now. It's one I've been meaning to get to. good clips on uh, this side over here, but the Investigatory Powers Bill looks to be... There could be two takes on it. It looks to be a monstrous overreach of government power, or you could look at it and go, well, this just seems like it's legitimizing what's already happening. Just asking the public, have you heard of the bill? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. People don't seem to be overly concerned about increasing the powers of the state to basically look at people's personal data. Okay. 
So I, those man on the street clips, always fun. Media always goes out and gets you a few of those. Here's another clip on this bill. What, what, what problems do you have with it? We heard about the Edward Snowden leak saying that clearly the intelligence services are taking on too much material. They can't analyze it. They can't handle it. Could lead to a security breach. But of course, this is now going to be all under legal supervision, isn't it? It'll be under supervision, but Ooh. it's the, the supervision is not is not robust enough for our liking. The, the bolt powers are incredibly vague. You even saw by the nature of the debate in the House of Commons today, you still see at this late stage a lot of confusion over where and what can be covered by warrant, what happens with the analysis compared to the collection. It's far more complicated, and I don't think the, the questions have been answered. Well, well they look but, as if they have been answered. I mean, Theresa May's given a lot of concessions. The parliamentarians have overwhelmingly voted for this. Uh, it's been open to much debate. So, really, the government has a duty, does it not, to protect its citizens in times of extreme threats facing it in the 21st century? Oh, they should oh, definitely, obviously, oh, seek to protect. Of this is not just a, a, a defeat of liberty. It's also a defeat of security. As the Snowden, the Snowden revelations today reveal, bolt powers are not in themselves a sufficient tool. And Bill Binney said the same thing to the parliamentary committee. He said that 99% of the data is meaningless and lives have been lost. because Well, that's an interesting thing, meaningless, because a lot of those website data, the, the actual content of what's read is, is, is actually kept private, isn't it? It's only what people are visiting. It's, it's mega data, isn't it? It's, it's not revealing an awful lot about what you're actually looking at. So personal privacy really not really at stake? There's a lot more that you can gather from the internet connection records than what they're saying is like, it's not the content, it's not the content. They still have not really been clear as to... There's a, the technical um, sort of bodies... Even they can't really distinct, distinguish between internet connection records and the, and the content. There's a lot of information that you can get from that. Like all other forms of metadata, they give a lot of information. Well, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? It's going to go fine. That's no big deal. It's going to go What could go wrong? Yeah. Along the whole terrorism rattling thing, let's play a little bit from the terrorism category. Islamic State is now under unprecedented pressure from two separate advances on its self-proclaimed capital, Raqqa. Syrian government forces backed by Russia have reportedly pierced the terrorist defenses near Tapka, while U.S.-backed forces led by the Kurdish fighters are advancing in Manbij. Let's uh, get RT's Murad Gazdiev now in the studio with us here to have him, uh, well, give us some insight on this. Certainly a few flashpoints, Murad, in the All right, we can stop there. We don't need the whole uh, Russian fluff piece on uh, them working with the Syrian government. Although interesting that they are... uh, driving that point personal story segment tonight president obama traveled to orlando today to pay his respects to the 49 innocent people killed by an isis inspired terrorist vice president biden was there as well despite attempts primarily on the left to play down the isis threat the director of the cia was quite clear today oh yes we judged that ISIL. Remember, I mentioned too, too that I mean, there is just there was a lot of coverage of this. They played, they played every Fox show. They really hit this piece. Is training and attempting to deploy operatives oh, for yeah. further attacks. Oh yeah. ISIL has a large cadre oh, of yeah. Western fighters who could potentially serve as oh. operatives oh, yeah. for attacks in the West. And the oh, yeah. group is probably exploring a variety of means probably. for infiltrating operatives into the West, probably. including in refugee flows, smuggling routes, I and guess. legitimate methods of travel. Likely. Joining us now from Washington, Hassan Hassan, co-author of the book, ISIS Inside the Army of 
terror. So first of all, I mean, I believe, Mr. Brennan, I think you do too, that ISIS <laughs> has not been uh, marginalized to any great extent, that they want to come to the United States and other Western European countries, cause as much murder and mayhem as they Hand can. And our correct? freedom, right? Right. Absolutely. You're yes. absolutely right. Okay. Now, you just heard a discussion with Bernie Sanders' right. uh, surrogates, and I admire them from coming on because the senator doesn't have the courage to face me because he knows he doesn't have anything. But I want to be fair. You're an expert. You've researched it. Bernie Sanders have any plan to defeat ISIS at all? No, he doesn't. I mean, the problem with the, with the left in general is that they like uh, slogans more than policies that work. They don't have the stomach. Uh, to uh, wage the kind of war uh, necessary to defeat ISIS. Uh um, yeah, except for ISIS sort of emerged under Hillary Clinton and Obama's reign. He sort of, you know, I mean, I guess I guess it's really been a long 30-year po policy, really, that you can blame it on, but this is a good story. I love how they open it. Winner. On some other stories that are making headlines, we begin with this Fox News alert. They said it would never happen, but this morning a frantic search is underway for a dangerous ex-Gitmo detainee right. who escaped with government supervision and vanished into thin air, seemingly. Jihad Dihab, released by President Obama two years ago, was supposed to be living in Uruguay, but government officials there believe he may have slipped out of the country somewhere near the Brazilian border. Oops. This isn't the first time Dihab and his fellow detainees in Uruguay made news. They got worldwide attention last year after State Department spokesperson Marie Harp said this. We can work with countries around the world to help improve their governance. We can help them build their economy so they can have job opportunities for these people. Well, not true. The former terrorist suspects released in Uruguay refused every job they were ever offered, reportedly. Eventually, some were even given passports as an incentive to leave. <laughs> oh. You know, after talking about terrorism, it seems only appropriate to talk about drones, right? Hey, oh, how about how about domestic drones, though, like the kinds that Amazon wants? So we've seen this leaked report of yeah. what the government is supposed to mm -hmm. um, approve. What's your first reaction to what we've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very positive. You know, the, the industry has really been excited about this. This is something we've been building towards since 2012. And what we saw leaked is pretty similar to what was kind of proposed over a year ago when the FAA first put out some of these rules for comment. So it's actually pretty similar to what we were expecting as far as the operational environment for the operators, what they're going to actually require the operators to actually be certified by. So it's, it's, I would say it's pretty well in line with what the industry has been inspecting. Do the rules go far enough? Um, I think so. I mean, for this type of operation where you're flying a small you know, drone within you know, a, a somewhat contained environment. This is something that ensures that it's safe, ensuring operators are safe, that they understand the rules of the road. And there's actually ways to find out you know, exactly where they're flying, who's flying what aircraft. So there's a, there's a trail that goes back to understand if there is an, an, an issue, who exactly is responsible. Do you think the restrictions should be looser? I mean, are there are other changes you would like to see? Changes around like flying at night, for example? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of really critical applications. For example, beyond line of sight is one of the ones that is really critical for companies like, say, an energy company or electric utility to fly long range over their power lines to really understand what's happening. It doesn't make a lot of financial sense to stop every mile or two to go and catch up to the aircraft, launch it again. So beyond line of sight, flying uh, at night, those types of things are critical for this to really show ROI across. Now, you guys have been doing most of your testing abroad, right, in Africa? We, we've been actually doing a lot of our work here in the United States for okay. several years. So okay. we've been working commercially here in the United States. Right now, you can fly Don't talk about what's Africa. called a Section 333 exemption. 
which lets you do similar types of operations that, that are in these types of rules. Um, we also work with Definitely a lot of the FAA-designated test sites, and that actually lets us do things like flying in, in neighborhoods and those types of things for the insurance use case, looking at rooftops, those types of things. So we were actually able to do quite a bit in the United so States. So how will these new rules change your business at all? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to allow, or for airware in particular, we're still going to be able to do a lot of the work we're doing. It's going to make it easier for our customers, for example, to go out and operate on their own. Mm-hmm. It, the, the barriers to entry for, say, a large corporation that may have been waiting for some of these rules to come out, now they can go ahead and start operating. It's clear what... The- Here come the drones, everybody! Here come the drones. So, Charlie Rose had his... In my interview with the vice president, in my in my interview with the vice president, Charlie Rose had his his interview with Biden, and uh, Biden had a little slip up in there, you know. But I, I think I want to wait. I think I want to play that Biden's Freudian slip. Have you guys seen this, Chatham? Have you seen Biden's Freudian slip? I'm going to play that at the end of the show. All right. Well, overtime segment. This is technically the end of the show. Uh, so before we get there. There is a clip. And I'm not I'm not making any statements with this clip. This is Fox News that ran this clip. And the title is Anderson Cooper is an activist. Oh my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper, everybody! CNN's Anderson Cooper, who publicly came out as gay four years ago, choked up as he read the names of the victims in Orlando. There are more than a, a list of names. There are people who loved and were loved. There are people with families. Remember, we played this clip last uh, week. I said uh, all of the media was really uh, just pivoting to talk about the victims and making it super, super dramatic, really heart-touching, really pulling your heartstrings, make you connect with those losses. And uh, I said out of all of them, and I had, I had a smorgasbord to choose from, I thought Anderson's was the best. And uh, I guess somebody at Fox might have noticed that as well. There are people who loved and were loved. There are people with families and friends and dreams. But Cooper also grilled Florida's Republican Attorney General Pam Bondi for having argued in court against same-sex marriage. The anchor saying he talked to gay people about this. I talked to a lot of gay and lesbian people here yesterday who are, are not fans of yours and who said that they thought you were being a hypocrite, that you for years have fought, uh, you've basically gone after gay people, said that in court that gay people, simply by fighting for marriage equality, were trying to do harm to the people of Florida. So he's talked to a lot of gay people and gay people don't like her? Is that what he just said? That sounds like he doesn't like her. That sounds like, you know, me, me and my friends don't like you. Yesterday, who are not fans of yours and who said that they thought you were being a hypocrite, that you for years have fought, uh, you basically gone after gay people, said that in court that gay people, simply by fighting for marriage equality, were trying to do harm to the people of Florida, to induce uh, public harm, I believe was the term you used in court. Do you really think you're a champion of the gay community? Let me tell you, when I was sworn in as Attorney General, I put my hand on a Bible and was sworn to uphold the Constitution of the state of Florida. But do you worry about using language accusing gay people of trying to do harm to the people of Florida when doesn't that send a message to some people who might have bad ideas in mind? And I don't believe gay people could do harm to the state of Florida. I took this up with Guy Benson, political editor of uh, townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. Guy Benson, welcome. 
Good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Look, I uh, respect Anderson Cooper, and I think he's generally fair. But in this interview with Pam Bondi, do you think he was acting as more than just an aggressive journalist? Yeah, he seemed like an activist. And I share your sentiments and general thoughts on Anderson Cooper. Of course, I only watch Fox all the time. But I've heard he's very good at his job. He's a versatile journalist. Uh -huh. In this circumstance, I thought the line of questioning for the Attorney General of Florida, under the circumstances and given the context of what had just happened in that state, it was a bizarre non sequitur and it seemed like he was browbeating her for really unrelated political thought crimes in her past which did not relate to the task at hand which is roundly condemning the horrific atrocity that happened. In other words, even if she had gone to court uh, to argue against same-sex marriage in Florida, what did that have to do? Did that make her a bigot? No. Was that the underlying premise of it was. Cooper's questioning? It was. And I think that this is the only way that this line of questioning makes sense is if your underlying assumption is that any opposition to any form of gay rights legislation is rooted in bigotry or hatred. I happen to disagree with Pam Bondi on most of these public policy questions. Fine. I happen to be gay myself, but I don't know what's in her heart. I'm not going to assume that because she defended the state's gay marriage ban, she herself is hateful. Right. And, and even though she did those things... But here's the thing. The New York Times kind of rewarded Cooper with this glowing profile, even though in the cupping news That's story said he berated That's Pam Bondi. Works. Now, would the Times have acted differently if he had berated, I don't know, a gun rights activist? We'll leave that for the imagination of the viewer at home. Because we got to move on. Mr. Chase is near. We could do one more Cooper story, I suppose, but I'm kind of done with him. So I will present to you, ladies and gentlemen, one of our BS clips of the day. Michigan University dropping one of the three R's. There will be reading and writing, but no arithmetic required at Wayne State University. What? Now, the public university now is subtracting math from the core curriculum. But at the same time, the school is proposing adding a diversity course requirement to the general education curriculum. Now, we contacted the university, and here's the statement we were given. Temporary elimination of the uniform math requirement is completely unrelated to the diversity courses proposed as part of a new university core curriculum. We are not training one for the other. Math remains a critical component of the majority of our degree programs. We also feel in today's global connected world that diversity is necessary for a full and complete education. These are separate issues and should not be conflated. Hmm. But if you remove one requirement, add another, doesn't that signal a change in priorities? President of the Wayne State University College Republicans, Andrew Malik, goes on I want to on stop the there because I want to shift gears. There's a story that I, as I'm thinking about it, right before we go, I think, uh, I, don't, I don't think I have any audio on it, and it's, otherwise it's fallen through the cracks. So if you will uh, permit me to go a little off the rails here and load a last-minute clip in, which I have not reviewed yet. On your screen now is former congressman, former presidential candidate Ron Paul joins us from Houston, Texas, where among his other endeavors since Congress, he hosts the Ron Paul Liberty Report. And Dr. Paul, yesterday you compared uh, the Orlando attacks uh, to the 9-11 attacks, but not because of the effort to kill large numbers of Americans, but because of the response 
by politicians and, and federal officials. Explain that. Well, I think it's predictable. Anytime you have a crisis, uh, the political people, whether they're right or left, will take advantage of it and try to promote their agenda. So immediately uh, when a gun was used, uh, people who don't like guns and want to uh, you know, control guns and sales of guns and anti-Second Amendment, they'll jump on this. and they not a, not, a, not a bad clip, but not exactly what the uh, – not, th- not what I was looking for. I think he goes – yeah, that's yeah. He said, "I think what I'm looking for." He says about six minutes in, uh, which is not what I was going for. So let's try this one here again. Last minute clips. Something I wanted to get into the so, show. The variants usually are, are degrees between candidacies, Republican or Democrat president in the past, but there's usually a very strong guideline with respect to the fundamental values of dealing with refugees, the fundamental values of protecting people and and uh, trying to uh, make a difference. And I think traditionally Republican presidents, Democratic presidents alike have have applied those standards. This is the first campaign I can think of where there's been as dramatic a variant in some of the proposals without getting specific. <laughs> that was Secretary of State John Kerry only a few moments ago speaking to college students. Uh, without getting specific, he was clearly talking about Donald Trump. This says the Obama administration's policy on Syria is being challenged in an unprecedented public criticism by more than 50 State Department diplomats, a protest that was in fact publicly praised by Kerry himself. All right, so this is this 50 diplomats thing. This is what I want to get to. Well, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I agree with the process. It's a great process. It gives people a chance to express their views, and we will deal. We will process it now. But the significant I, thing is the 50 number. It's I think it's a, an important uh, statement, and I respect the process very, very much. And I will probably meet with people or have a chance to talk when we get back. He did just get back. Joining me now, Gail Amon, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. Gail, the protest, which was through an internal protest mechanism at the State Department, uh, we've never seen 50 diplomats using it. It's usually one letter or another letter, but this was signed by 50 people saying that we should not be going after ISIS. We should be going after Assad, the regime, because that the civil war is what produced ISIS, produced the migration crisis, is the root cause. And so here you have diplomats arguing for military intervention against a White House which has been uh, allergic to military yeah, intervention absolutely. and a Secretary of State caught in the middle. I mean, this is really a four-page memo that was four years in the making. And when you talk really? to the folks who were part of this... And, as and, you have. I yes, and, uh-huh. and you, you know, as I know you do regularly, the issue uh-huh. is that this was a long time coming, and it's for them sort of about three L's, leadership, oh, leverage, boy. and lives. Oh, and their sense is that, you know, American leverage is not helping uh, to save enough. American leverage. So she just said that her and Andrea regularly talk to these uh, group behind this this 50 number. Who, who, who knows what that really means? And now she's here to boil down and represent their collective wisdom. Lives because we don't have enough of it because there is no credible military threat in their view. And I think it was a tough decision for a lot of people to do this, but they really did feel like this was not necessarily about the Obama administration, but about setting the agenda for the next administration to come. 
And I know what the military's response would be is that we don't have authorization for regime change. And if you yeah, we're doing it anyways. If you want to do that, go to Congress, because that's the process. I think what uh, is widely known among those of us who cover Secretary Kerry is that he's been frustrated by the inaction yeah. and that his diplomacy, especially since Russia entered the theater with their airstrikes in September, and changed his everything. diplomacy has been hampered by the lack of a credible military threat from the White House. That's right. And this has always been, since 2013, when you talk to people who've touched this policy, that the price of inaction has not necessarily been weighed. And for those who sympathize with Secretary Kerry's views, it's that the leverage for enforcing a diplomatic response Response is not there, that there is not a credible threat of a what if, if, uh, you know, a diplomatic route fails. And right now he's worked tirelessly on the diplomatic front. But, you know, look at where we are now. The cessation of hostilities is in tatters. Russia is bombing U.S. forces that are specifically created to fight ISIL. I mean, it's a tough situation. In fact, there were military meetings over the weekend. The U.S. is getting their uh, let's let's play that back again. Let's just make sure we let's make sure we really grok everything she just said. We are now the cessation of hostilities is in tatters. Russia is bombing U.S. forces that are specifically created to fight ISIL. I mean, it's- Russia is bombing U.S. forces that are specifically created to fight ISIL. What the hell kind of sense does that make? That statement doesn't make any sense. That obviously means that those are our troops there that are propping up. The anti-Assad troops when the Russian troops and the Assad troops are targeting them. So it's not that they are – what did she even say? I can't. I got it. I got it. Now the cessation of hostilities is in tatters. Russia is bombing U.S. forces that are specifically created to fight ISIL. I mean, so it's not that we have forces that are specifically created to fight ISIL. It's that we have forces that are specifically to prop up certain members that are certainly – that are fighting – other members. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So how do I, I just, I got to hear that. Not there, that there is not a credible threat of a what if, if, uh, you know, a diplomatic route fails. Okay. And okay. right now he's worked tirelessly on the diplomatic front. But, you know, mm-hmm. look at where we are now. The cessation of hostilities uh-huh. is in tatters. Russia is bombing U.S. forces. Yeah. Russia is bombing U.S. forces. Now, this is the critical statement. Let's just, just get it one more time. That are specifically created to fight ISIL. I mean, that are specifically created to fight ISIL. Wow, that really shows you the perspective in which they are looking at this entire thing. And it's a tough situation. In fact, there were military meetings over the weekend, uh, U.S. military protesting vigorously to the military leaders in Russia at these latest bombings. Absolutely. What happened last week was just intolerable. Absolutely. And I mean, this Russian bombing campaign, look, I was there uh, at the start of the year and a Syrian activist showed me video, YouTube video he had shot of the hole in the ground where his house used to be. A Syrian activist showed me YouTube video of a hole in the ground where his house used to be. You get the impression that she was standing there in front of the hole, but really what that just means is someone who is an activist, okay, an activist, not not a victim, not a refugee, an activist, showed her a YouTube video. After Russian bombing campaign, and you know you hear him running. How could you tell they were it was a hole in the ground from a Russian bomb? And not a hole in the ground from a U.S. bomb. How, how can you tell? To see where his house once was. Uh, so this has been going on for a while. But now this was southern Syria. They bombed, you know, Russians bombed forces that were specifically created to fight uh, ISIS. So Specifically created to fight ISIS. There's that phrase again. You couldn't say that it was, uh, you know, uh, something Mistake. that was right or was unintended. It's, it's be- here. Let's be honest. 
I I'm not I'm not claiming that Russia didn't didn't probably uh, do that. Simply put, the ISIS troops that are in the best condition, that are in the best shape, are the ones being propped up by the U.S. and not just the U.S. but but also our allies. Those are the troops in the best shape that are making the most progress. And in fact, what the military would say is, if it were a mistake, it says volumes about how bad the command and control is. And if it's not a mistake, it's even more outrageous. Right. And you know what? You know what? Uh, you know what really upsets them? It's 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 not even the loss of life that upsets them. It's that it exposes the fact that we have our boots on the ground propping up ISIS. And when Russia drops bombs on them, and then we have to condemn Russia. We basically have to come out and say our guys were there. Our guys were on the scene. And one uh, diplomat raised me, you know, what we had been talking about, special operations forces that are in Syria. What if special U.S. special operations forces had been uh, there? Then what? Then what situation would you have been in with the U.S. and Russia, right? And there's no way to say that they were, in fact. Thank you so much. Wow. Did you see that? She's upset. She's nervous. Watch her. Watch that swallow at the end. About special operations forces that are in Syria. What if special U.S. special operations forces had been uh, there? Then what? Then what situation would you have been in with the U.S. and Russia? Right. And there's no way to say that they weren't. In fact. Oh. Right. When Andrea Mitchell says that, you see that? I mean, I don't mean to make a mountain out of a molehill, but. Thank you so much. Oh, man. It's great to see. You. Oh, that's awkward. Oh, oh, oh. Gulp. <laughs> I mean, as someone who's been on front of the camera for, I mean, I can tell you that. Oh, that's. Oh, oh. Mr. Chase just walked in. Oh, boy, boy, that was bad. (laughs) I want to do it one more time. Let's just let one more, right? Would you guys mind one more if I do one more time? It's just so good. All right, here, maybe here, when Chase joins us, I'll play it for him. Let's hold it for Chase so we can get his. Of course, you know, I'll, I'll give him a little background, too. That's how we go. That's how we roll. Hey, buddy. All right, so I got to play something for you. So this gal is uh, this. This interview is about. There's 50 uh, diplomats inside the State Department that have written to. Uh, does something fall off? That, that uh, have gone through a, like an official complaint process to uh, say we need to do more in Syria. Okay. And so uh, she's, she's friends with these uh, 50 diplomats, and she's talking with Andrea Mitchell, who, uh, of course, is an elite herself. Right. And uh, they're talking clearly about why we need to do more in Syria. And I want you, without really having seen much more and knowing much more, I want you to witness one of the best gulps in TV history when she's essentially... They walked. They, they this entire interview. They walked the line of basically saying U.S. troops are over in Syria and Russia just bombed them, which is, exposes the fact that we're behind behind ISIS over there. 
And she tries to walk it back a little bit, and Andrea Mitchell doesn't follow the script, and there's it gets awkward. And there's no way to say that they weren't, in fact. Thank you so much. Did you see it? Did you see it? Wow. Did you see it? Okay, good. Now, I know, I, I, I jumped right on you. I jumped with it. We got to do a little enhance. One more. Okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. What if special op- U.S. Special Operations Forces had been uh, there? Then what? Then what situation would you have been in with the U.S. and Russia, right? right. And there's no way to say that they weren't, in fact. Thank you so much. It's great to see you, Gail. It's just that's super weird, right? Weird and awkward. So uh, I got uh, I got uh, I got a clip I saved for you. All right, buddy. You know, every now and then you just accidentally say what's on your mind. Maybe you know, like me, I I haven't slept good for about a solid solid seven days. Haven't slept very well. So you know, sometimes I'll just say something stupid, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes bu- your buddy, your good friend Joe. You know, every now and then he just lets lets things slip. Yeah, Joe's kind of known for that. Oh yeah, uh, you might he call hadn't it, had his morning coffee yet. You might call it a Freudian slip, uh, where he basically uh, he basically what he does is he paints how perfectly that Assyria is becoming Obama's Iraq. Only it's not like a oh, it's not like a, we're gonna go over there and kick their ass like a front like 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 uh, Bush did. It's a secret war, right? And you can see that's actually on their mind in an interview. So, anyways, this clip. Uh, It'll meander a bit, but it'll get us there. And that'll, this will be our last clip of the show. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry has reportedly had a cordial conversation with a number of diplomats who've been oh. openly critical of President Obama's policy in Syria. Although Kerry, it seems, was careful not to take sides, according to people who were there at that meeting. The eight who were present are among 50 State Department employees who signed a memo last week calling for the U.S. to conduct airstrikes against President Bashar al-Assad's regime. The Syrian army has been continuing its offensive on Islamic State, uh, that stronghold there of Raqqa, that's been at the that's began at the start of the month. So that's ongoing. I'm a Wakaf, is from the Gnosis News Organization, joining us now live to see where, where this may go further. Hi there. Um, the U.S. Vice President also recently commented on what to do with go. the Assad regime. We won't start off on a terribly serious note here. This is a bit tongue in cheek. Seemed rather confused about uh, who he was talking to or about here. Let's listen ourselves. Come straight back to you. We're continuing to work with the international community to reach a negotiated settlement to get Saddam out of power. Has him leave. Assad out of power. Assad, I'm sorry. Freudian slip. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because right. it's not the same thing at all. All right. Same that script brings the overtime show to a conclusion. 193 is done. Just in time, Chase. Just in time. Just in time to say goodbye. All right. Thank you to our supporters at patreon.com slash unfilter. We have an incredible sync for you this week. It's the, the, the best. So much good stuff in that sync. You've got to get it. If you're not in there already, go get $5 or more. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to our 33 Club, and we'll see you right back here next, next week. week.